Welcome to another episode of Room for Nuance. I'm Sean DeMars. I'm Garrett Kell. Brother, will you open us in prayer? I'd love to. Father, we thank you for a new day with new mercies. Thank you for this opportunity for two unlikely guys to sit Mm -hmm. around a table and talk about Jesus. And we thank you that uh, we're both still alive to do that and that we have new life in him. And we pray that you would mark our time by your mercy. We pray that you'd fill us with wisdom and insight and understanding, discernment. Lord, you know what is going to be helpful uh, for your name to be magnified um, in our hearts, in the hearts of those who will listen and among the nations. So we pray that you would you know, help this to not just be a time of a couple guys talking about stuff, mm-hmm. but would you fill us with your spirit in a way that would um, magnify Jesus and um, yeah, help those who, who listen. So bless our time. Do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ask for or imagine. Yeah. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Mm -hmm. Let's start off by talking about that unlikeliness. For real. Right? Can you uh, give our viewers like maybe the three to five minute version of your testimony? Sure. Uh, So I I grew up uh, in what we would call a Christian household because we weren't atheist or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu. Yeah. But basically, that just meant we we went to church. Yeah. And that was... That was high school, but I very much learned how to kind of play the play the part. So I was I was a party athlete. That kind of that was my my world. But I could wear the mask when I came to church and learn how to mm-hmm. to do that dance. Were, were your parents Christians or were they nominal? Uh, in hindsight, we would say nominal. Yeah. Okay. So at and the time, we, that is, they would say they that would too. they would yeah. So. Okay. Uh, went off to college, and that's where I just, man, I, I followed what I loved all the way, the drinking, the drugs, mm-hmm. the relationships, everything. Middle of my junior year, uh, I was about as, yeah, it was about as dark as place as you can, for me, could imagine. I was living in a house with three girl roommates. We were all ravers, and I had a living girlfriend. To me, it was kind of like the pinnacle of life, Um I invited a friend named Dave down for a Halloween party. I told him it was going to be an epic party. And uh, he came, brought him back to my room. I had a bag of weed, uh, six of his favorite beer, told him I had a girl for him to get to know for the weekend. Mm. And uh, he closed the door, and he sat on the bed, and he looked at me, and he said, hey, I really appreciate all this, but I I just I don't do this anymore. I was like, okay. I was like, you all right? And he's like, he's like, yeah. He said, I, he said, I love Jesus now, and I... I came here because I want you to know he loves you too. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, I'm whatever, sorry. loser. I, well, I mean, this was just not, this was not him. He and I used to party together, yeah. all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what is, what is happening? I was like, all right, well, more for me. Went back out to the party. Um, kind of hoping Dave goes home for the weekend. I didn't know. I was like, <laughs> and you know, but he didn't. And he's, he, I remember he was sitting on the couch and he was trying to talk to people, but he was, he just wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. It was evident that he was, he was different there. I had buddies come over like, yo, what's up with dude on the couch? And I was like, he's a, he's a Christian. They're like, Meh, you know, so we're laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, but his presence haunted me mm. because as I watched him, he had what I didn't. Mm. He, had a, he had a piece that I couldn't find at the end of a blunt or a bottle or a relationship, and it, it, it haunted me. And uh, we, we corresponded over emails the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I was telling him to kind of settle down on the religious stuff. And he's like, kept giving me Bible verses to read and all this kind of stuff. Well, about a couple of weeks later, rave uh, at the house, uh, kind of normal party night. And then all of a sudden, I just felt overwhelmed with darkness. Mm. I felt darkness in me and I, I saw it around me. It was kind of one of those moments. It was like, 
felt like the veil was kind of lifted and I just I felt like I saw a lot of dark things. And it wasn't it wasn't the drugs. I've had I've seen stuff right, with drugs. Yeah. It was it was different. It spooked me. And I went back and I went in my room, and I closed the door and I said, All right, God, if you're real, show me something. Mm. Um and I looked down and out from underneath the the bed was a Bible. My parents had given me a Bible my uh senior year as a gift, but I used to hide it under my bed because it would cramp my style. So mm. somehow the corner was sticking out, and uh, I picked it up, sat down at my desk, and uh, played Bible roulette and just opened up. And uh, New Living Translation, it fell to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 18, which says, The one who sins is the one who dies. A father will not be judged for the son's sins, nor will a son be judged for their father's sins, but each one will be judged according to what they have done. But do you think I delight in the death of the wicked? Mm. No, but they would turn and live, says the Lord. And that freaked me out. Because yeah. for the first time, I had been around the Bible, but for the first time, I felt like it was, it was talking to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard it. It wasn't just stories. And, but, so I slammed it closed. I was like, all right. I was like, you got anything else? And I opened up to what now I know is the New Testament. I wouldn't have known. I just started reading through the book of Romans. Come to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Mm-hmm. Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he's been giving you time to turn from your sin? But no, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, where God will judge all men according to what they have done. And that's when it hit me uh, that me and God weren't cool. Mm-hmm. Like my whole life up to this point, I could look back on all these things. I just thought me and God was kind of my caddy, you know, to get me out of the way as travel agent, advice, whatever. But I realized he was different than me. And that I I was wrong, and I wouldn't I didn't know how to give words to all those things, but his his spirit was working in me. Fast forward a couple weeks, go home for Christmas vacation, and I do some ecstasy and get feel really guilty. Uh, so I don't know if I'm born again at this point. I just know all of a sudden I feel really guilty, but I'm super chatty, and I'm talking to my sister, and I start confessing to her all the things I feel guilty about, all the stuff that I've done, secrets, all this kind of stuff, and she's like, you're going to die or kill people. Like, you, you're in trouble. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> sober, just clear, and I thought, I have to call Dave. So I called Dave. It's 2 in the morning. He comes up to, my, comes up to the house. I had told him, I was like, I need to talk about God. He come up, tears going rolling down his eyes. He had a Bible in his hand, and he said, "Do you know what I was doing for you?" I was like, "No." He said, "When you called me, I was doing the same thing I've been doing every single night since I left Virginia Tech. I was on my knees mm-hmm. praying for you that you would believe in Jesus." Praise God. And he shared the gospel with me. And again, I don't, I don't know. There's a span of about six months in there, yeah. three to six months, when the Lord was doing stuff and I was seeing stuff and yeah. whatever. But, but I've walked imperfectly with him ever since. Yeah. And. Yeah, so I always just marvel when I'm talking about Jesus stuff. Like I'm, I feel yeah. like I'm the last dude who should ever be here having this kind of conversation. Yeah, with a guy like you who All, yeah. similar track. Yes, that's right. And how old were you when that happened? Twenty one. Twenty one. And how old are you now? I am now forty five. Forty five. So it's a sweet thing. Like I've recently passed that halfway mark right, where right. I've I've walked with Jesus longer. Then I hadn't walked with him. Yeah, which was a sweet milestone because Pretty trippy, right? It's super trippy and. Yeah. And, you know, in one sense, I'm so thankful for where he's brought me. When I look yeah. back, I'm like, wow, I'm not the same dude. Yeah. And then at the same time, there's so many things you just wish 
this body of death, like who will deliver me? You yeah. wish you wish you were all the way liberated, but that's coming. It's coming soon. Hopefully, hopefully before this podcast is over. That would, that be, would be a better nice. ending be than so this podcast, nice. however it will end. Yes. Come Lord Forget Jesus. The podcast. Come on, let's go. Uh, so yeah. Um brother. do you keep in contact with Dave? Yeah, he was the best man in my wedding. Uh, every single uh, Halloween, uh, I post um, uh, kind of an account that actually includes an email yeah. uh, that he sent that I sent to him. You know, basically yeah. telling him not to get all crazy on me yeah. and everything. And um, and I post that, and then I, I give him a call or text him every Halloween wow. and say, and say he's still thank you for the Lord faithfully. He is, Praise yeah, God. he is. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, he's not famous, but. Oh, he will be one day. He will be one day, <laughs> and that is that's a hundred percent true. He's uh, praise God for Dave's. Yes, right, and that's a good place for us to get to the first booklet that you wrote that we're going to talk about. Yeah. How can I find someone to, to disciple me? Mm-hmm. In the Great Commission, we're told to go out and make disciples, and we know that the first step of making disciples is evangelizing. Mm-hmm. Right, the Lord uses our preaching and teaching of the gospel. To, to call sons and daughters to himself, right. and that's how you enter into the discipleship process, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Go ahead, man. I, I, you sound like you want to just jump yeah, in Yeah, no, I, I feel I'm like, amen. Yes I, always, I mean, amen. I just think that's, you know, just evangelism is the first part of the disciple-making process. Yeah. So, 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 so many times people are focused on just evangelism, but not pointing people to the Lord, this is a life of following Jesus. So we're yeah. calling you to that. Right, yeah, yeah. amen. Uh, before we get into the... Uh, the meat of this booklet, which is fantastic, by the way. I think uh, so. I try to read each one of these church question series when they come out, mm-hmm. but I reread this in preparation for this interview, and it was so good in so many different ways that I thought I just need to have. I need to like buy a copy of this for every member of our church, give it out at our next members meeting, and say like, like read this, please. You know. And why? Like what? When when you're when you're reading it, yeah. what's what's? Well, yeah. That's what we're going to spend the Let's next do it. thirty Let's minutes do it. talking about. But before we get into that, I, I got to tell you, I love this part where you talk about Shelby, and you said that Shelby heard about my new faith in Jesus and took me out for tacos. Tacos, dude. Shelby sounds like my kind of guy. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Shelby. Sorry, I can't mess. <laughs> guy, girl. Um, yeah. So y- you say here on page fifteen, Jesus taught that God knows what you need before you ask Him. If God cares this much about you. Don't you think he desires to bring you someone to help you walk with him? Mm-hmm. Rather, that that one, that quote stuck out to me significantly because I think there are so many Christians out there who are wondering if God wants that for them. Yeah. Who they're they're saying, like, I've I've never been discipled. I would love to be discipled. I mean, I can't tell you how often I ask someone, have you been discipled? And they'll say, Well, what do you mean mm-hmm. by that? What does discipleship mean? Mm-hmm. So let's start there. Why do you think there are so many professing Christians who have never been formally discipled? Probably lots of reasons. I I, I think one of it is just there's there's a sickness in the church, unfortunately, yeah. that we we've in a lot of ways forget the mission of what we're supposed to be about. Yeah. Like we're calling people out of darkness into life and then helping Christ to be formed in them. Yeah. And I think we can just get sidetracked with all kinds of a billion other things. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm not just trying to throw shade at the church. I love the local church. Yeah, but I right. think that I think there's a sickness where we've forgotten forgotten the mission yeah. that the most important thing about anybody is are you becoming more like Jesus every mm-hmm. single day? Yeah. And like that's what we want. That's what we want to be about mm-hmm. is is helping people come to know Jesus and walk with Him and and, and follow Him. Yeah. So, 
you know, I, I suspect that's probably part of it. I think there's probably another part that some people feel like, am I worth investing in? Mm. You know, like they feel you know, small or kind of like I'm not, I don't have anything to offer. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's, that's just a misunderstanding of the way that God views things. Like oh, he, he gave his, yes. gave his son who shed his blood is yeah. precious. He loves you and he's yeah. a good father and he cares about you. You know, yeah. I've got six kids, most of them on purpose and each of them, <laughs> um, you know, each of them, they're, they're unique. And to see like the potential, like me as an earthly father, seeing like, oh, if we could just fan these things into yeah. flame, our heavenly father, he's a, he, he saved each of us for purposes uh, that he wants Christ formed in us to radiate a unique glory. And I just, I think we need to help one another to see that, that yeah. God does indeed love us and does indeed have good things for us. Yeah. So what would you say, let's say that there's someone watching this or listening to this and they've been walking with the Lord for a while, I don't mm -hmm. know, a year, 10 years. Mm -hmm. And they've never been formally discipled. Now, you and I have a more organic view of discipleship, which we're going to get to later, which includes the gathering of Sunday morning as a kind of discipleship and yeah. community discipleship. But let's say they've never had an older saint in like a Titus II kind of fashion pour into them one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. uh, and they're in a church where that just isn't really in the DNA. What, what, what would you advise them to do? I think... First, recognize that if that's you and you're hearing this, this is God's kindness toward you, mm. that you may feel overlooked and forgotten, but it's evident that the Lord hasn't forgotten you yeah. because you're hearing this. Yeah. And this is intended to inspire hope. It's intended to move you. And I think first thing you want to do is, is pray and thank the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you for helping me to even think about this. Yeah. Would you spark in me a real desire to grow? Yeah. I, and would you arrange the right person yeah. or people to help me, yeah, to help me walk with you. Yeah. So I think this is a hopeful moment. So, so let me stop you right there. That's such good advice, brother. Will Stevenson, our assistant pastor now, long before he was an assistant pastor or a PA or an intern, he was just some young Christian who had never been discipled, and he wanted to be, and he started praying, and he said, mm -hmm. God, bring me someone. Yeah. And God brought him like 10 people. Isn't that good? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, the Lord loves to do this. And that's, yeah. you know, and I think that's another thing for a lot of times, we just wonder, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? Yeah. We feel small and insignificant. That's one of Satan's schemes to hinder us from... Yeah from seeking the Lord and, and, and flourishing in Him. So, so be hopeful. Yeah. Pray. Remember yep. that you are significant. Yeah. Even if you are small, because God's big. Sure. Right? Yeah. And we're all small. That's right. Um, yeah. I, I think the next thing then is say, let's, let's get determined and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my pastor. Yeah. And, or, or, you know, if you don't have access to your pastor or whatever, which hopefully you do, but um, is there somebody that as you watch them, you say... There's something different about them, and it's not that they make tons of money or they have, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. They seem to know Jesus. Yeah. You know? And go and say, hey, can I, can I take you out to lunch? I'd love to just share with you something that's going on in my life. And say, I have never really had anybody pour into me and invest in me and help me read the Bible and know what it means to apply it and know yeah. what it means to share my faith and how to fight sin and how to how to be a disciple, yeah. who makes disciples. Like, I don't know how to do that. Would you, would you invest in me? And if, if you don't have time to do that, or for whatever reason can't, can you think of somebody else who could help me follow Jesus like you follow Jesus? Yeah. That'll be hugely encouraging to that person. Oh, yeah. And you just never know what, what God might start. Yeah. 
So uh, one of the things that I love about this book is that you leave no stone unturned. And one of the stones that you don't leave unturned is what what do you do and how should you feel if you ask someone to disciple you and they don't? Yep. For sometimes good reasons, sometimes bad reasons, sometimes mm-hmm. reasons indifferent. As I was reading that section, I was thinking about my wife, who mm. was a member of a church that we love very much, but asked an older lady uh, had observed her way of life, saw some good fruit, asked her, would you mind discipling me? And the woman said no. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, I'm so, I'm so busy, I would love to, but let me direct you. But just kind of like, no, I don't think I can do that. Now, I don't know what was going on sure. in that sister's heart, yeah. right? But it crushed my wife, yeah. right? And uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, I don't want to steal all the thunder yeah. of this book. So I want people to pick that up and read it and see some of the really good advice you give there. But can you just maybe give one thing to say to someone if they kind of get crushed like that? Like, how would you encourage them? I would say to not underestimate how the Lord might even use that pain to push you in the right direction. Mm. Like, there's nothing that comes into our lives that does not come through the hands of a good God who always is purposing it. Mm. So I would say even that rejection, it, it will be redirection. The Lord will point you then to somebody who... You know, I mean, th- think about, you know, the, when Samuel was looking for who's the king going to be. I mean, he went through a bunch of the Lord's like, no, 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 I got one you haven't even thought of yet yeah. is David over here. And I, I know who's going to, you know, right. I mean, and that's where I think we can, it make, first of all, don't feel guilty that it feels bad. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. But then say, well, but Lord, then this has to be, you have to want this for me. Right. You command this and yeah. you you supply everything you command. So yeah. so then provide for me. Yeah. And that's where we have to trust that his ways are above our ways and his yeah. his thoughts are above ours. And he's got the right person in the right time in the right place. And that hunger that hopefully will continue to build yeah. will just fuel better discipleship in the days ahead. Amen. Thinking about my wife's case in particular, after a few years passed, looking back it actually turned out to be a tremendous mm-hmm. blessing that that woman said no, yeah. right? So it could also be the blessing for you, not this king, not this king, not this king. Oh my goodness. I know that you want it, yeah. but I'm telling you, I got a better king. I have a better discipler for you yep. than that one. That's um, good, brother. Yeah, and that's where the, we have to trust that God's, God is wise and only gives us what's good. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. On page 16, you say um, that as we pursue discipleship, we have to have a humble spirit. And part of that is asking ourselves... Do I really want to be discipled? You say it like this. (laughs) It's time to ask yourself, do I really want to be discipled? Following Jesus requires change. If someone is going to disciple you, you're going to need humility. Are you really ready to be instructed? Do you really want someone to point out your sins? Are you really ready for correction and training? This reminds me of when in the church we talk about service and being a servant like Christ. It's so easy to talk about. Sure. In theory, mm-hmm. being a servant, it it's a breeze. <laughs> but then when someone treats you like a servant, you're yep. like, how dare you, right? right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's one thing to say, oh, man, I really want an older, wiser, loving saint to teach me, encourage me, rebuke me. Mm-hmm. And then they do, and you're like, whoa, that hurt. That was mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, just riff on that, man. I'm sure you've had that experience more than once. Well, that's, Personally, that's being been my discipled? life. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's 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 my life. I think oftentimes I, I thought I wanted some of the, you know, there are relationships that I had. I can think of one particular uh, older gentleman who I asked to disciple me, and man, I look back on it, and I think I wasted a lot of his time <laughs> because I was. He would ask me questions about sin that was going on in my life, 
And I would just gloss over answers and I didn't, I wasn't really honest. Yeah. And I hid things from him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think I wasn't humble. I wasn't teachable. And unfortunately, I, I think I really didn't want what I said I wanted. Right. Um, I, I think it was you know, the desire was there and the Lord, I think, was provoking me. You need this. Right. But my pride just wasn't, wasn't there yet. So I, uh, I, I think you want to really do some business with the Lord and say, God, help me yeah. to to follow you by listening to this person, yeah. you know? And again, you want to listen to them in light of the word and all that kind of stuff, but I do think it takes a, a humble posture. If you go in um, without being surrendered, it's you're going to waste your time in theirs. Yeah. I don't remember who said it, and I don't think they were speaking in a Christian context, but they said that growth happens at the fringes of our capacity, right? Mm-hmm. And that's true of holiness as well, you know? You want someone, when they're going to disciple you, they're not going to be content to leave you where you are. They're going to push you. They're going to ask you the tough questions. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to ask a lot of you. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of times they're going to see things in your life that you just have no idea. You might right. think, I need this, but what you really need is yeah. is something else, right? And that's yeah. where I think you have to be moldable before the Lord and yeah. say, Lord, show show me where I really need to grow. Yeah, and show me again, my blind spots. Yep, which that's, that's painful. Mm. Um, and I remember one guy, you know... Um, challenging me uh, and and saying, you know what, I just, it was, it was more of a, uh, we were kind of peers, but I was, I was, he was influencing me and I yeah. was, we were leading together. And I remember yeah. him saying, um, you know, brother, I, I don't, I don't feel like I can work with you anymore because I don't, I don't, th- I don't think you're teachable and mm-hmm. I don't think you're listening. And I think you just kind of want to do what you want to do. Yeah. And it irritated me. And I felt like I was like, who's he? He's so prideful. But the fact is, <laughs> I You're was, not teachable. I, yeah, I was, <laughs> but it, it really was me, and he was he was right. Yeah, um, and you know, may the Lord give us grace. Yeah, yeah brother. Um, on page eighteen, you say that if you want to find someone to disciple you, join a church. That just sounds like a bunch of nine marks claptrap to me. <laughs> Are you on their payroll? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, but I do think if you're looking for healthy Christians, healthy Christians are going to be doing what Jesus tells you to do, which yeah. is going to be part of a local church, right? So uh, I, I think if you, yeah, the, the kind of Christians that you want to help you follow Jesus are going to be following Jesus, and part of that is is local church life. Okay. So I, I think it's the first mark of, of humility: is Lord help me to to admit that I need. I can't make it to, to heaven by myself. Right. I'm too weak, so I need other people. So you want to go to a place where God's word is taught. Go to a place where Christ is honored, where you know the Lord's Supper is treated rightly, baptism is, is prized, and and there is yeah. where you're going to find healthy, humble, you know, hearty Christians. Yeah. And that's that's the kind of person you want to pour into. Yeah. Yeah. So now you were involved in like college ministries and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Are you saying that discipleship can't take place outside of the local church? It certainly can. And I'll say some of the people who influenced me the most. So uh, Shelby, who we mentioned, yeah. that brother uh, served with with crew for a number of years um, and has recently transitioned. Uh, he's, he's a member of a, a faithful, uh, not transition, this 2023, transitioned <laughs> right. in ministry. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, um, in 2023, you can also transition in ministry. Yes, you can. Um, and, you know, but I think for him, you know, that has been an arena that he has done a lot of good work in, and yeah. I'm I'm very thankful for parachurch yeah. ministries. But parachurch ministries 
must never replace the local yeah. church. They're there to help the local church, to come alongside the to para, to come alongside right, the yeah. local church. So yeah, praise God for that. But I think if you're you're part of a parachurch ministry that doesn't value and delight in the local yeah. church, then I would say it's probably time to redirect your, your energies. Yeah, that's right. Parachurch ministries are at their best when they're funneling into connected, flowing mm-hmm. even from the church. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you talk about uh, Mercury. Merc. On page 25. Love Merc. Uh, this is super discouraging. Yeah, I know. He's, he's, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's me, the business. Let me read. He loves his wife and spends time with uh, spends time with her each evening. He spends one-on-one time with each of his eight children eight every week. And on top of that, he disciples over 20 men from our church. Uh, are you just trying to discourage everyone? Like you're you're holding up this archetype that none of us can ever be like. I well, I had lunch with him last week, and <laughs> I go to learn. You know, he's one of our fellow elders, um, and he is. Everybody has different sorts of capacities, and yeah. this is where I think one of the most important lessons in discipling is just in discipleship is the lesson that 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 Peter had to learn um, with with Jesus in John twenty one when he said, you know. Why are you going to do that with John? And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about you follow me? Yeah. Don't worry about what I'm doing with him. And yeah. this is where I think we need to not compare ourselves yeah, with one right. another. So that's that's one of the first lessons of discipleship, is yeah. that what the Lord's doing with you is not to be compared with others, right? right. You are his own unique child. So Merck's, Merck's the business. He really is. I do think one of the things I've learned about Mercury, though, is that it's possible to be able to use time well, mm. but it requires you saying no. yeah. So I love Merck, but he's he's terrible with email. Yeah. I mean, to the glory of God. Right. You know, right. I mean, like it's yeah. he doesn't, he's just he's not gonna reply to stuff typically. It's not because he's mean, it's because he's spending time in ways that might be better. So, yeah. you know, I think watching Mercury live his life the way he has as a fellow elder has been really refining for me. And I never walk away from a conversation with him feeling put down or feeling lesser than. I feel inspired to say, this brother, he knows what it means to walk with God. And he has been a great, of all the things I've learned from Merck, it's how to prioritize things. Yeah. How how to keep your relationship with Jesus first, your relationship with your family second. And then, you know what? You're going to eat lunch anyway. You might as well. So yeah. why not just arrange it with guys who are hungry? Right. And, and, and Merck's, I mean, he'll if a guy just keeps, like, not coming, Merck's like, hey, listen, just so you know, this is the last This is the last shot. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you don't want to come, that's fine, but we've right. got other guys who want to meet, and I'm yeah. going to... So he's he's happy to have those hard conversations. So that's one of the things I've learned from Merck, and I, I love him. Yeah. 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 He's, and he's, and he's a lay elder. He's not on staff. Nope. Discipling 20 guys yeah. and he's not on staff. Nope. Praise God. Yep. That's he just he's he he runs the the uh, a city in Virginia and is a town manager <laughs> he there. He runs a city. He does. Yeah. So yeah. city of Vienna. So. Some people have really that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um talking about this more formal one-on-one discipleship. Uh, sometimes I think we can make it too formal. Ch- uh, churches and, and pastors like us who uh, believe in a discipleship culture, uh, we can make it feel like, you know, in order to enter into a discipleship relationship, I have to get down on one knee. You know, <laughs> will you take me on? Yes. You know, will you be my sage? And then we think that there has to be this sort of hyper rigidity and structure. Right. But I want to tell a story about us mm-hmm. and some of the ways that you discipled me as a younger believer and to, to demonstrate that there is a lot more flexibility. Sure, so yeah. 
This is one of my favorite Garrett Kell stories. So I just moved to to Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I'd come from a church in Atlanta where I thought I was going to love everything about it because I thought we were all exactly alike. We like the same music. We come from the same subculture. We have the same uh, Reformed theology. This is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. It was not as amazing as I thought. Somebody gives me nine marks of a healthy church. I read it. I'm not very impressed. Yeah, exposition. I get it. You know, no, nothing mind blowing here. Mark Dever's not a particularly good writer. But when I moved to DC, I'm like, oh, that Nine Marks guy has a church out there. I'll go check it out. So I show up one morning to CHPC. I think I still had my gold grill. Oh, at I, this remember. Point. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I remember. Sometimes I wonder if you like, and Amber, people I remember. don't believe me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think wife beater, snap back. I still had my gold grill. And uh, I show up on a Sunday morning. There's a thousand people there. There's nowhere to sit. Mark's wearing a three-piece suit like he used to do, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is like circa 2011 CHBC. So as, I mean, pretty formal still, right? Oh, yeah. And we sing 10 old hymns and Mark preaches for like an hour 15. And I don't have the depth in me at that point to appreciate Mark's preaching, Right, because I'm very shallow as a Christian, right? So he's preaching deep, and I'm just like, "Whoa, what is this gonna wrap up?" So I do it for like three weeks, mm-hmm. and I remember on the third week, I'm just like, "I'm not coming back." I just, I don't know, man. This isn't for me, you know. And as I'm on my way out the side door, uh, you know, you walk down the steps, and I go to cross the street to walk towards Union Station, and out the door comes flying Garrett Kell, and he snatches me up and he goes, what you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> and I was like, ah, we're heading home. He's like, well, come have lunch with me. I'm like, ah, I don't know, you know. And he's like, no, come on, let's have lunch. And you took me out. We had lunch. I told you that I was thinking about leaving. You encouraged me to stick around. Uh, in God's providence, uh, now I'm, you probably want to jump in with details here and there, but we'll come back and fill them in if you want lead. to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stick around. I join the church. And I start to see oh, this is actually what makes the gospel look amazing. It's like, I actually don't have anything in common with these people. You're a senator. I used to be a drug dealer. There's not a lot in common mm. here, and yet here well, we are. Well, sometimes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. But, uh, and then in God's providence, when I joined the church, I got put in your small group. I didn't ask to be put in your small group. That's just what the Lord did. And I hated that small group, if I may be honest. No offense, not because <laughs> no, of you. No. I didn't want to be leading that small group. Yeah. But the Lord had plans. The Lord had plans. And you and I didn't have like a one hour meeting every week where you were like, how's, you know, are you fighting porn? What's your Bible reading? You know, Mm -hmm. but over the course of that year, before I went to the mission fields, you were further along in ministry stuff than me. And you just encouraged me. You challenged me very rarely, even super directly, more often just as a small group leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was very formative for me. So all all of that to say, uh, that was a discipleship relationship. Although you and I never sat down and said, we're, you know, Garrett, Disciple Sean. Yep. I think it's an example of what you asked earlier about the local church. This is the kind of stuff that happens in a healthy local church is, you know, people's paths are going to cross in God's kind providence. You know, the the way that that Bible study came to fruition was, you know, the Lord just worked a bunch of things out. And there's there's other people in that Bible study that you and I are still still good friends with. Yeah, that's right. You know, Uh, and, you know, I think... um, I, I, I really appreciate that you're highlighting that because it's a lot of times it is that, okay, we're going to meet for six weeks. Like you said, get down on one knee. Are you in or not? And all this kind of stuff. And that I think those sorts of things can, can be useful. Yeah. And, and, but it's not the only way. Yeah. And I think you want to not underestimate how much God uses 
every interaction. There's every brief encounters from the Lord. Yeah. My wife taught me that. And I just, I think that is, it's so true. She's yeah. helped me to see that, that every encounter, God wastes nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause when you rushed out that door to grab me that day, you probably didn't think that, uh, like 10 years later, we'd be sitting at this table. Yeah. Right. You know, it's funny. I remember when we met, I, it was obvious that you were not from there. Um, <laughs> but I felt like I, I, I think I felt like you looked in the sense of you looked out of place mm -hmm. because, I mean, it was D.C. culture. It was obvious that you were from another place. Yeah. Um, but so was I. Like, every my whole life was different than that. So, I, you know, yeah. I, and, and to hear your story and Amber's story and what God was doing, like, it was super encouraging. Yeah. So Very praise good. the Lord. He knew. Going back to that uh, every small encounter is from the Lord, uh, how often have you found it to be the case that when you thought, you were doing like really good, high quality, like, man, I gave him, I gave him gold just now. It kind of didn't really do anything. And there are other situations where like you just had like a passing comment. Like you mm -hmm. just said this, this one liner that you, you've said 50 times before, you thought, yeah. but I'll say it anyways. And it turns out that, that the Lord used that more than anything. It is. And I, and I think that's where we, we need to be, we who are helping to invest in others need to be f flexible and willing to to just follow what the Lord's leading and doing in a particular moment. So even as you said that, I remember back to one of my big failures, I think, in a discipling relationship where there was a guy who we were we were the model that was taught me was open a book of the Bible, go verse by verse through every time that you meet, and that's what you do. That's discipleship, which is that's part of it. Not wrong, not bad. But I remember this guy uh, came over and we've been going through Ephesians and we were supposed to be in like Ephesians two or something. And he shared with me how he was really struggling with just his walk with the Lord, some sin stuff, some friends that had betrayed him, just a, a number of... It was kind of like the perfect storm for this yeah. guy. And rather than adjust our meeting plan, I was yeah. like, man, that's sad. Well, let me pray for you, and we're going to get into Ephesians 2. <laughs> and it was just not... Right. I mean, I followed the plan, but I don't. I don't think in that moment I was following the spirit, you know. And that's right. where we need to be willing to be to be flexible. And this yeah. is where the organic life together. That's that's got to be the the backdrop that we yeah. love one another. Yeah. yeah. One more thing on the organic nature of discipleship. Um, so I was doing uh, Amber and I were doing some premarital counseling with this amazing couple, young couple in our church. They've just come to know the Lord. They're growing like weeds, which right you got to love mm -hmm. that when they're just so fresh like that. Um, but one of the things that I told them was like, hey, we're doing this sort of formal discipleship right now to prepare you for marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, but one day when we stop meeting up for this nine weeks session, that doesn't mean our discipleship's over. We may not have a, a planned time every week, but it would be really weird if like you still didn't reach back out to us whenever you needed to work through some marriage stuff, yep. you know? Um, and so even if you do have something that is more formal where you did get down on the knee, but then that time comes to an end one, that's okay. And even if it comes to an end formally, that doesn't mean that that brother or sister is not so there for you. Yeah. This is, yeah. You're investing in lives. You're helping one another to, to follow Jesus and the, you know, how the Lord providentially arranges how the paths cross. Sometimes it is for a season where you're in a study or something like that. And certainly, Along the way, you've just got to trust, you know, that you can... Don't be ashamed to reach back out and say, hey, you know, I do that all the time. There's yeah. so many people who invested in me right. that I'll reach back out to and ask for advice or wisdom, and I think that that's part of... I did that with you a few months ago. I had a really difficult situation in the church, and I said, I'm going to call Garrett. Yeah, you and know? it's... it's and, and, 
and it's been vice versa. So you feel like initially I was pouring into you, but brother, I mean, over the years, it's been very mutual, which is one of the sweet things for me is yeah. to watch people that you're pouring into really because they have the spirit of God, like giving back, yeah. giving back. Yeah. I can think of one particular sister in our church who constantly feels like she's a failure and not not trusting God enough and, you know, that all of this, that she's just not offering anything to anybody. Yeah. But what she doesn't understand is every time that we talk and she pours out her heart and we pray and we trust God and she leans in, Mm -hmm. it is the most edifying thing Mm -hmm. for me to watch her trust God through the the horrific things that she's endured from a wicked uh, ex-husband, that the, the, the sorts of physical pain, the sorts of relational stuff, just thing after thing after thing, and she just keeps trusting Jesus, yeah. and she feels like she has nothing to offer. But, she, but I've told her a million times, like, you are pouring into me. Thank yeah. you for your faith that you're yeah. putting on display. And this is where I think we need to always go assuming that if somebody else has the Holy Spirit, that we can learn from them as well. Yeah. And that sort of, of, of desiring to mutually edify one another, like Paul talks about in Romans. He came and he I want to impart some spiritual gifts so that we can edify yes. one another. Like, yes. none of us are experts. Jesus is, the, he's the goal, he's the expert, he's the chief shepherd. Yeah. And I think if we can all, like, lock arms together and look up, that's got to be the posture. Bro, preach. <laughs> Page 39. Discipling relationships will rarely look exactly like you expect. So that's kind of going a little mm-hmm. little overlap of what we've been talking about, but this is how you say it. You may envision the Lord providing you with an intense one-on-one relationship with a patient older saint who wisely answers your questions and intuitively anticipates your spiritual needs. More often, you'll find yourself being discipled by a brother or sister you find a bit too abrupt. That one hurt. When I read that, I was like, "Ooh, he's talking about me. Socially awkward or scatterbrained, the church is made up of redeemed sinners. Even the godliest among us have faults. If you aren't careful, you can become frustrated when you discover that your discipling relationships are flawed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you go on to talk about how every discipler has th- things that you need to emulate and things yep. you need to avoid. Yep. And that's one of the things we tell, like particularly our pastoral interns when they come through, is, listen, you're going to be with us for the next nine months or so, and we want you to watch us. Uh, and there will be things that you want to emulate, we hope. Mm-hmm. We also expect that there will be things you want to avoid, that you're going to watch me do life the way I do, and I'm sure I'm going to disappoint you in some ways, and I'm probably also going to confuse you in some ways. I want you to talk to me about those things, so I want, I want to hear. Yeah. But I think every single relationship, you've got to understand, they, <laughs> Jesus is the goal. He's the hero. He's the one that we're learning from, yeah. and we're all doing that imperfectly. Yeah. So. Guard your heart from being frustrated from with your disciple or not being Jesus. <laughs> like they're Amen. trying to follow Jesus too. Yeah. And don't heap on them expectations to be everything for you yeah. that Jesus can only be. Yeah. And that was one of the things I did as a young Christian. Yeah. I found myself getting getting frustrated. So that's that's birthed out of my own <laughs> immaturity. Uh, to where there were guys who I think were really trying to genuinely invest in me, but I just I had this kind of thing in my mind of what I was expecting yeah. rather than saying, Lord, what do I actually need? And, yeah. there, and, and that being said, there may be some relationships that are just not, it's just not sure. happening. Yeah. And you should not feel guilty not about like all. that. Thank you so much. Yeah. But 
you can learn something from everybody oh, yeah. that you that you come across a uh, path with. And you just got to ask yeah. God to show you what that is. You talk about giving like the talk to guys that you start to disciple. Like you do that with your interns, but you do it with just anyone really that you disciple. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, I, one of the first things I told Luke when he came here as an intern was, you know, I'm a screw up, <laughs> you know, the same thing. And that's good because you're really just being like Jesus with calibrating expectations, right? He said, if you're going to follow me, you got to count the cost. Mm-hmm. Now, the principle isn't exactly the same, sure. but it's, it's, it's calibrate expectations, yep. right? Especially in the celebrity culture. Sure. And, and, and I think one of the thing, one of the best things somebody who is a discipler can do is to remind them, listen, I'm following Jesus too. Right. And sometimes... Some some of the disciples I've had, I they never confessed a thing to me, uh, yeah. which I found almost like the Merck situation. Like if Merck wasn't like an honest, open man, yeah, it could be really discouraging just to right. watch him and just think I will never be like that guy. Yeah. But but Merck's a good example of he'll he'll talk about how weak he is, yeah. and how hard it was with this kid or that kid. And or, it's not just lip service. No, yeah. like because he he really loves the Lord. Yeah. So I just want to say to anybody who is pouring into others as kind of the discipler in this in this conversation one of the best things you can do is to to be honest about your own struggles and weaknesses and fears it's okay to cry in front of the people that you're yeah. pouring into oh, like yeah. my my children, like they get a front row seat. They've heard me confess more stuff than, you know, daddy shouldn't yeah. have said that. Daddy shouldn't have done that. Daddy was angry when he dealt with you on that. Please yeah. forgive me for that. Right. And if we're going to do that with our children, which we must, yeah, we do that in the in the church as well. Well, even as pastors, yes, right? uh, you have to do that as a pastor. Yeah. Yes, I mean because if you don't, you're you're just putting up a facade yeah. that is not teaching people what the gospel really looks like, right? So, and by the way, that facade doesn't even... It doesn't it's not work. as good as you think no, it is, because people terrific. are going to see your yes, work. then you look like a yeah. liar. Yes. You're just, you look like an insecure yes. fool who's mm-hmm. up there trying to impress everybody. We're not called to impress anybody. We're called to point people to the one who is impressive, yeah. to Jesus. So yeah. I think the more that any pastor, discipler, has Jesus as their hero and as the only one who is their only hope, that's yeah. just going to come across in that, in that leadership in a way that will inspire others to, to live humbly and openly. That's where gospel teaching yeah. must meet gospel culture, and they've got to work together. Mm, that's a good point, brother. Uh, speaking of culture, let's, let's go back a little bit to the idea of celebrity culture, which mm-hmm. that's just the culture we live in. Sure. It's not a unique problem to the church. Unfortunately, the church has porous walls, and, and we kind of take on the culture in which we find ourselves. And uh, one of the things that I think can happen with young Christians is they look up to these people on the internet, right? For, for me, it was John Piper as yep. a young Christian, right? Uh, for you, it might be somebody else. Uh, if you're a lady, it might be like Alyssa Childers or someone like that. And you look up to them, Jen Wilk, and you put them on this pedestal, and you think, man, if only I could be discipled by them instead of old Frank here, you know, Frank who works at, in our indicator, who works at the Meow Mix factory, right? Yes. <laughs> if I could be discipled by, by her and, and not her here in the local church, I bet you I would X, Y, Z. Maybe, but maybe not. Because I got to tell you, um, I've, I've been around most of these guys and I've yet to meet one who doesn't have flaws, yeah. who's not sinful. They yeah. all have clay feet. Yeah, and we and we don't, Obviously, want to just you know t- tear any anybody down, but everybody looks good when you can edit out their life and Instagram filter everything. But that's just not reality. The people in the in their churches know that that's not yeah. reality. So this, 
you can edit this out if this is not appropriate, but sure. I spoke at a conference um, when I was uh, a number of years ago, and I there was a particular speaker there who I just thought hung the moon. And I felt, you know, awkward around. And I wanted to impress and the whole thing. Yeah. The whole time I'm thinking about what my message is going to be like. How's it going to land on him? Is he going to be impressed? And yeah. that, that, that. Well, uh, before I was a, before, sometime during the conference, I was about to go on and they had a, they had a restroom for the speakers. And I went back there and this particular person came out of the restroom and I went back in after them and they were, well, they were just a human, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, like, they blew it up. And, but it was the most helpful thing for me. Yeah. Because I was like, they're just like everybody else. Yeah. Like they're not this hero. They're a normal. They're a normal person. And everyone you know what? I, everyone does. You <laughs> yeah. know. I mean, and uh, and I just want to encourage anybody who feels either um, inferior because they're not living like their hero, yeah. or envious of other people who are close to their yes, heroes, or yes. whatever it may be. I just want you to know it's not from the Lord. Right. Because God's a good father, he gives you exactly who you need. Mm -hmm. Like like Mama Ruth. Like nobody's ever heard of Mama Ruth. Yeah. But Mama Ruth showed me Jesus. She was a 99-year-old widow who lived in uh, a nursing home, you know, kind of a rehabilitation center nursing home. And she watching her follow Jesus. When I was a brand new Christian, I was like 23 years old. And I was just learning to try and teach and preach. And she, she used to sit there while I was preaching and she'd nod and she'd smile. And she, that was, I was so good and trying to encourage me. But I yeah. remember like she was sitting by the, she was sitting by the window one day um, after the service. And I walked up to her and uh, she said, would you do me a favor? I said, yes. Yeah. She said, would you take this bag and, and take it outside and dump it? And it was, it was breadcrumbs. And I went outside and put the breadcrumbs out and she said, come here, sit with me. And I sat down next to her and she said, watch. And she said, Jesus says that he will care for the birds and he will provide for them. Well, I live in this home now and I can't do a lot. But one of the things I thought I could do is I could help those birds get what God promised them. Mm. So after lunch every day, I go around and pick up all the leftover bread and I, with my arthritis, she didn't say it, but her right, yeah, hands, riddled with, yeah. she, she breaks it up for the birds and she puts it out there. And she says, every day I sit here and I watch as the birds come. And I'm reminded that if God will care for them, he'll care for me. Mm. And sometimes God lets me sit next to people like you, and I tell them, you see that? God's going to do that for you too. Mm. It's in his word. I've never forgotten that. Yeah. She's she got no Instagram pages. she got nothing. Like, But yeah. she is famous in my heart because she, Mama Ruth, loved the Lord. Yeah. Like, And she showed me what it meant to, to trust God when circumstances were not like she would have dreamt. Yeah. You know, what and, about, yeah. sorry, you just don't get that from celebrities. You uh, don't. I mean, you, you may, don't. but but yeah. but you don't need celebrities to get that. So. Yeah. And uh, one of our good mutual friends, Matt Schmucker, he says that he tells his kids all the time, "You should really thank God that you have a normal, non-exceptional dad, right? Because great gifting usually also brings a lot of baggage with it. You it know, can. and and uh, yeah. And so, what you may need is not that really." gifted person, uh, obviously yeah. exceptionally famously gifted person over there, which you may need is Frank who works at Meow Mix because you know what? Your life is probably going to be more like Frank's than John Piper's. Sure. You know? Yeah. And of it's, course that's not the, and I, I don't hear you saying it, but we, we don't want to demonize any of those brothers, sisters who's the Lord used mightily. Many of them obviously love the Lord and really pour in 
But I want to demonize John Piper. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you and him take that over. <laughs> right. yeah, but I, but I, I no, think you're 100. percent right. I think you're right, though. It the grass always, you know, it always does look better over there. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that's where you know I've I've heard this recently, and I think it's really true: is that the grass is greener where you water it. Yeah. And this is where I think you need to look and be content with. What's right? Like water what God has given you. Be yeah. thankful there. You don't need these celebrities. You need what God's given you. Yeah. I think Jesus said, be faithful with a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the last thing I want to pull out from this book is you talk about something that's uh, like 1950s. It's, it's kind of outdated, this idea that you need to be in discipleship relationships with people of the same sex. Isn't that a little outdated? Um, well, aren't you a chauvinist? <laughs> well, I think first, I do want to say that we can obviously learn from people's uh, people of different genders. I mean, my I just talked about Mama Ruth, right? I mean, yeah. she very much a woman. That's right. Um, that being said, while so on the first, yes, learn from people of all different sorts of backgrounds. Brothers can learn from sisters, sisters from brothers. Mm-hmm. That is totally true. At the same time, there's a uniqueness. Uh, that sisters need sisters to pour into them because there's, I have three daughters and a wife and women are just different than men. Mm. <laughs> like the sorts of struggles, they're just unique and you need sisters to pour in. Yeah. I mean, Paul told Titus this really clearly in chapter two. He's like, older women teach the younger mm. women. This is, it's yeah. a necessary thing. Same thing with guys. Like there's, there are struggles that brothers resonate with and understand. Uh, and you need to be able to be honest. And it's also safer I, I mean, to my shame, um, when I was a, a very young Christian, like right after I become a Christian, I, um, you know, I tried discipling some sisters, and it didn't go well. Oh yeah, I mean, I Been was there, done that. It was, I mean, I, yeah. I really, I mean, you know, I, I deeply regret that I didn't model yeah. Christ well, and I hurt some of them, yeah. you know, and and dishonored the Lord and defrauded mm-hmm. people, and I, it was. I was too immature to be in those sort of situations anyway, and I don't think that every relationship would end that way. But you can hurt one another's hearts, yeah. and even the most contented of, of, of people with what God has given, you can really harm one another. God's mm-hmm. wired us particular ways, and I just think it's, it's wise for brothers to disciple brothers, sisters to disciple sisters, and find contexts where you're learning from one another, certainly, but those need to be, there need to be appropriate guardrails. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to outdo each other with embarrassing stories, but mm-hmm. I'm about to give you a good one. Oh, no. You and everybody who's watching, all 12 people. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, uh, I was friends with this couple, and they were older, sweet couple. They've been very patient with me and all my stupidity. But I would like call the husband and be like, hey, let me talk to, and I won't say the wife's name. And then I would just try to like disciple her. And so finally, one day, the husband was like, Hey, I really appreciate this. And I love that you want to like help my wife follow Jesus, but I got this. You don't have to disciple my wife. I'll disciple her. If you think there's something she needs to know, come talk to me about it. And at first I was like, geez, that's kind of arrogant, right? And then I stepped back and I was like, no. And I hadn't I hadn't been sure. married at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, dang, that could, this, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have so, to give you that story. That, that was a patient, godly man, though. He didn't oh. shoot you or anything oh, like that. So. Hey, I'm not saying he didn't think about it. You know? <laughs> um, can we talk a little bit about that? About the differences between men and women in discipleship? Because I think it's one thing to say that uh, and have it kind of be out there conceptually, but like boots on the ground, real life. I'll I'll start with one example, and okay. then you can fire back with another example. Okay. Sure. And one of our 
I don't remember if it was a Sunday school class or in a sermon, some of the application had to do with holiness and pornography. And um, yeah, in service review, I heard this, and also conversations that were being had around lunch, because we always talk about the sermon when we have lunch together after service. And a lot of the sisters were like, hey, I know that women do watch porn, and I'm not saying that that's not true, but I just felt like a massive part of that application kind of zipped right over my head because just to be honest with you, that's not an area that I struggle. I struggle in a lot of areas, but that's just not a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. I asked some of the guys about it, and they were like, that's the best application I've ever heard. Right, like yeah. that application was so spot on. It hit me. It was a dart right to the middle of my heart. Right, mm-hmm. and so there we see that men and women both struggle with lust. Sure, but the way that they struggle with lust is different. Women tend to get more emotionally bound up. Right, men tend to be more visually oriented. That's not to say that men can't get emotionally bound up and that women can't. You know, but uh, yeah, that's one example where I I just very clearly saw like, oh yes, men and women are so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do think that even within that, I know, in light of nuance, there are sisters who have really do struggle with visually and all those yeah. kinds of things. But I, I do think you're right that particularly sisters will sometimes be em, 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 really emotional, the em, emotional, dreamy, sort of all of that kind of relational. That's, yeah. There's more of the, the pull yeah. in, in, in that direction. It's, it's yeah. the reason why women yeah. read romance novels and yeah. men go to Pornhub. Sure. Yeah. I think another example would be there's there's a unique the difference of giving feedback and critique it just lands differently on men than it does on women. So brothers, you know, I could be like, "Sean, that sermon, like I love you. Don't preach that one again. Like burn it and start over, you know? And you're not going it you might be a little sad, but it, like it may even endear you to me." I yeah, so yeah. We, guys can handle that sort right. of thing. Some sisters may be able to handle it that way, but the sort of thoughtful, uh, re- relationally bound, I love you, there's just more, there's more cushion kind of needed. And that's because not, not because women are, are weaker in, 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 a, in the most outright sense, but they're just wired differently. Yeah. They need a different sort of approach. Yeah. And I think even the, the way I've seen critique land on, on brothers and sisters, like we compliment one another and be like, bro, you're, you're getting uglier. It's great. Hey, yeah, good to see you. <laughs> you know, I mean, like we, that endears us to yeah. one another. That's not, sisters don't, that's no. not going to go well. Yeah. I think being a pastor has uniquely revealed that to me because mm-hmm. my sense of humor is very much, I'm going to make fun of you to show you how much I love you. And I've, I've, I've cut a couple of sisters on accident where I was like, oh, I thought we could do that. And she's like, we can, everything's fine. I'm like, oh, okay, no, I messed that one up, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I think that's where open relationships with one another, talk to me about how is this landing on you, those kind of things, that yeah. makes that makes relationships, uh, discipling relationships healthy. So. Yeah. All right, brother. Um, hey, thank you so much for not only writing about discipleship, but writing out of a, a wealth of experience, mm-hmm. both from successes and failures. Uh, praise God for your discipleship ministry, brother. Well, I'm thankful I for the God many for people who have yeah. poured into me. One one thing I would say, just one more sure, on this. Go ahead. I remember meeting with a brother who desperately desired somebody to disciple him. And he was looking, I was meeting with him, but he was looking for an older, um, an older man who uh, was of the same ethnicity of this and had just like more gray hair, all that he was looking for a particular thing. Yeah. He just was longing for this. And I think it was a right kind of longing. Okay. Especially in light of some of his own story and this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I remember like he kept trying, it kept just not happening. And one day we just went to lunch and I said, brother, I said, just watching God's providence in your life, I 
I think the hole that you have right now that you feel you need this kind of person to fill, I want you to know, I think God the Father wants to be that for you. And I think you need to minister out of that, and you need to be for others what you wish somebody was for you. Amen, brother. And that kind of fuel, that, that, that's helped me in the years, because there's a lot, every disciple is going to fall short. And I think you can, you can be for others what you wish somebody was for you. So even if you're trying and you do all the stuff in the little booklet and it's just not happening, yeah. remember that that does not give you an out from doing what God called you to do. Yes. Minister for others from what you wish somebody was for you. Praise so, God. Yeah. <clears throat> We're experiencing that right now at Sixth Avenue. Our church was a revitalization you know, 10 people on a Sunday. Now there's, I don't know, 100, something like that. That's but, revival. Uh, pr- dude, the Lord's been very real. kind to us. But um, a lot of young couples, and particularly a lot of young women, and discipleship with the men kind of, and the women were kind mm-hmm. of lagging. And what we found was just a lot of these women were like, where's my Titus II woman? Where's the older, you know, gray-haired saint full of wisdom? Mm-hmm. And it's like, she's not here. I wish she was here, right. and even some of the older women who we have in our church who are so godly, they had never seen a Titus II woman, so they're kind of like, no, I, I want to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, what we ended up doing is we started a, a, a Priscilla Project initiative with them to, hey, and the whole point of it is like, listen, you can't wait forever. Yeah. You have to be that. I'm sorry. It's kind of like me without having a dad, right? Like, I didn't have a dad. But I have kids, and so now I have God's Word, right? I have His Spirit living in me, and I have basically what I need, even though I didn't have that, to mm-hmm. be that to you. And I'm yeah. going to mess up along the way. Yep. But um, And so, ladies, you know, you have to figure out how to be that Titus II woman. So uh, what you say is exactly right, brother. Yeah. Well, exactly right. Now, one of the things that... Um, one of the... I, I, don't, I don't want to make it seem like this is like the the heart of all of your discipleship ministries. But one of the things that the Lord has uh, particularly blessed you in is your ability to help people with sanctification, um, purity in particular. We're going to talk about your book, Pure in Heart. But can yeah. you talk about the personal experience from which a book like this was born? Yeah. Um, I still remember the first time I saw pornography. I was... Uh, in fifth grade, I was visiting a friend's house. He was a year or two older than me. Um, and he he said, hey, I, I want you to see something. I, I, I found this in my dad's, my dad's room mm. in his closet. And he pulled out from under his bed this wrinkled page of pornographic stuff that if I tried right now, I think I could still, like, bring to mind what right. was on that page, right. you know. And... Um, Something woke up in me. Something was, you know, awakened that that sh- it was it shouldn't have been. Right. And there was a curiosity. And it can't be put back to sleep. No, no. Once that thing's woken up, the mm-hmm. only thing that can can put that to death is Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know. And it it woke up in me. And you know, there's things we're hard we're hardwired for good things. Sex right. is a wonderful gift, but the my first experience experience with something like that was in a very different direction. And that kind of, I think it's, it's burned the next, until I was 21 years old, um, pursuing whatever that was. Mm-hmm. And that went through more pornography and then into relationships. And it just put me on a trajectory of thinking about sex in a very literally perverted, twisted way, yeah. not the way God intended it, but a twisted way. And that 
that followed me in all my relationships and a lot of a lot of a lot of evil things. And then Christ saves me when I'm 21 and radically changes my life. And you know, I'm all of a sudden awakened to the the good purposes of all things, including sex, and it changes my relationships. Mm-hmm. And then it's just still my flesh was still around. And mm-hmm. I found myself being tempted and there was a couple of relationships that were not were not holy. They weren't what, what maybe would have been, but it weren't good. Um, but pornography snuck back in after a little bit of time, and I began to really wrestle with pornography as a believer. And the shame and the guilt that came from that were just it was debilitating, and it it did weird things to my soul, like. Mm. Um, and particularly because right away, because of my story, um, I was on stage very quickly, um, and I was put in leadership position very quickly because I had personality and gifting, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the maturity to go with it, right. which is a whole nother, whole nother a whole conversation. conversation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I, I began to struggle secretly. I still remember, I mean, I remember I was sitting at a Bible study, um, while I was in seminary, I was sitting at a Bible study one, one morning, and uh, when the preacher said, amen, close the Bible, I felt this overwhelming urge that it was almost came as a command. You're going to go home and you're going to look at porn. Mm. I mean, it's like 7.30 in the morning. I'm a, in seminary. I'm training for ministry. I'm an evangelism pastor at a church. I'm like, and I, I felt like I had to do it. Mm. And I went home and I sat in front of that computer for hours, right. page after page after page after page, looking. You know, it was just like chasing a mirage. Yeah. And then finally, this is back in the day, you unplugged the computer and just like turned it off. And I just, I remember sitting there thinking, I guess I'm always going to be this way. Mm. And just thinking, okay, how am I going to do ministry like this? Um, and, you know, I, I would confess around to different people, even, you know, like I mentioned, one of the disciplers who would ask me questions, and I would kind of be like, well, I've been struggling, you know, but um, wasn't, wasn't really being, being honest, and began pastoring a church. Um, uh, at, I was 25 at the time. Um, I, was, I was dating someone long distance, so I wasn't in, um, I wasn't married, and as a pastor, uh, was was looking at pornography. Sometimes it would be weekly, sometimes it was biweekly, sometimes right. it was monthly, but there was a pattern like that. And the problem was that I developed a Solomon complex because the ministry was being blessed and the kingdom was growing. I mean, our church was was growing. We started with 13, went to 30, to 60, to 90, to 120, and then we bought this roller skating rink. We were the holy rollers. Like, it was this <laughs> fill in the thing. Like, there's hundreds of people coming. People were, you know, getting saved. Marriages were being restored. God was blessing the ministry. But all the while, I am, I'm living this, this hypocritical yeah. life. It's yeah. a double life where, and the fact was, I really loved the Lord. Right. Like I really, I loved him yeah. and I hated my sin. And I felt every time that I would delete this search history, I'd say, never do this again. This has got to be the end. And I meant it. But my approach to trying to fight sin was a lot of willpower and was a lot of just shallow, moralistic, sort of legalistic. It just wasn't the answer. Right. So this book is birthed out of 
of what I, I believe is, is the way, the way out. Can you, so first of all, thank you for sharing all that, brother. That's all really, really useful. Can you share, cause it just was really impactful for me when I heard it, the story of the airport when you fired off an email yeah. confessing. So I'd been a pastor for about three and a half years at this, this church uh, in Texas. And um, another friend and I were talking about planting a church in New Jersey and a brother named Reed. And I, my, my now wife, Carrie, and I were dating at this point. Um, I had been honest with her about where I had been with pornography stuff, and I'd had a, a bit of a reprieve in there a, few, a number of months, so our yeah. dating was kind of probably okay. And, um, but I felt like I needed to be honest with Reed about kind of where I'd been because I wanted a fresh start. I didn't want to have all these ghosts in the closet. So I wrote in what I now call the letter. Mm-hmm. And in that letter, I detailed all of my sexual sin, basically from the time I had been a Christian up until, you know, whatever the most recent thing had been. Um, and I, I sent him an email while I was on a plane getting ready to go shoot a promo video for our church uh, mm. that we were going to plant up in Jersey. So I land, I've got a voicemail, and he's like, hey, brother, um, really appreciate the, the email you sent me. Let's, let's, grab, uh, let's grab coffee, uh, and here's the here's address, went to a coffee shop. And we sat down, Carrie, uh, at that time, fiance, now wife, um, now wife. Uh, she and I sat across from Reed at a table like this. And Reed's a, he's a former wrestler. He's a big old dude. And he leaned across the table with, with a toughness and a tenderness in his, his, his voice. Then he just looked at me and he said, Garrett, I love you. And God loves you. But I read your letter. And I do not feel comfortable moving forward with our church plant together. Yeah. And not only that, but brother, I think you're disqualified from being a pastor right now. Mm. And I don't have authority in your life, but as your friend, I think you need to take that letter and you need to go give it to your elders and you need to do whatever they tell you to do Mm. because you, you can't keep living like this. It was 2007. I, I call it the year of the anvil. So an anvil is a big piece of metal that something is laid on and then beaten and shaped. And yeah. it began the, the year of, of that for me. So I, we didn't shoot the video, got the next flight, went back, met with a couple of biblical counselors who were friends and kind of told them the situation. And they all seemed to agree that, yeah, there was some distance and this was okay, but I, I did need to be honest with my elders and what had been going on. And so we called a meeting and I, I gave them all copies of the letter and I said, uh, I said, brothers, I need to be honest with you about where I've been. This is, this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, my recommendation is that you guys read this letter and let's meet again in two days and then you tell me what to do. And um, they did. And, um, you know, those guys weren't ready for that. Like they... They weren't trained how to handle a pastor who's going through this kind of stuff. And uh, all they wanted was a church that preached the Bible and mm-hmm. loved Jesus and a pastor who told them the truth and lived the truth. And so, like, this was, this was hard for them. I really I hurt them. Well, um, contents of that letter um, from that group were, were passed along to one particular person and if you ever live in a small town, you know what happens. Mm-hmm. And um, one, you know, 
one person talked to another person and talked to another person and, and word, yeah. word got out and um, that made it uniquely challenging. Uh, but um, met with those brothers the next, the next time we got together and they each had things to say to me. Um, one of them, though, I'll never forget, a brother named Will, humble, godly brother. He loves me. He looked at me and said, Garrett, you've, God's used you a lot in my life to help me love the Lord. And one of the things I've learned about the Lord that you've taught me about is that he's very patient with sexual sinners, but he hates hypocrisy. Mm. And you've got to figure out whether you're going to be a hypocrite or whether you're going to follow the Jesus who helps sinners. I really hope you do the second. And because I knew he loved me, like it just, it landed on me in all the ways that it should have. And it began a process uh, of the discipline of the Lord is not enjoyable for the moment. Mm-hmm. So we decided that it would be important for me to share with our church uh, what had been going on. Now, you've mentioned nine marks. At this point, we didn't have, we intentionally started that church without membership because we didn't want to facilitate friendships. We didn't think we needed to draw a line around love and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So so after I preached on a Sunday morning, which I was preaching through 1 Corinthians at the time, Paul defending his apostleship. So this is a miserable section of Scripture to be preaching through while I'm walking this out because we didn't yeah. know what to do. Do I preach? Do I not preach? What they do? I was trying to just do whatever they told me to do. It was kind of yeah. a week-by-week thing. So anyway... After I preached one Sunday morning, one of the other elders got up and said, some of y'all have heard Garrett's got some stuff going on in his personal life, some sin that he's been doing. Uh, well, tonight we're going to have a meeting. So if you'd like to come, it's at this time, please come. And you do that in a church that has no membership. It's open to anybody in a town like a small town in the South. Yeah. I mean, this is like people were there who had never been to our church. Like it was, the room was full. And I remember sitting on that stage And my worst nightmare was coming to pass. Like the reason that I had not been honest is I so feared people's opinions. Yeah. I, I didn't, I couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't ever be honest. I remember thinking, I think I'm going to have to die for this to end. And that's what happened on that stage. Yeah. I died. Yeah. Like I'm sitting there and I confessed everything in like, you know, like a 40 minute kind of the whole thing. And I saw people get up and walk out who've never walked into a church again because they are afraid that the pastor might be a hypocrite like me. I, I had people hug me who a week later told me that they hated me. I had, mm. you know, it was, and I'm not the victim. This was my fault. It was my sin. Um, but it, it wrecked me. It broke me in all the ways that I needed to be broken. Mm-hmm. I needed to be humbled, and God, in His kindness, humbled me. And um, a week goes by, and a bunch of people who weren't at the first meeting asked, uh, "Hey, we didn't get to hear, and there were no recordings, of, so, mm-hmm. so we did it again." Uh, that was hard. Yeah. And, over, and then I went to the part of the plan was that I would go to. Um, get some some counseling. Um, so I went to this one counselor and I filled out all these things, all these little, little you know circles. And he's like diagnosed me as some kind of like you know 
narcissistic chameleon with tendencies toward something or another. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know what all that means. It might be true, but I, this is not my, yeah. this is not my vibe. Right? right. So I asked the elders, could I go to a different one? Like he never opened the Bible, anything like this. Right. And, uh, I met with a guy named John Henderson and John, the ninja, the soul ninja. I, I remember coming out. So Carrie and I got married in the midst of this, um, which she was such a, such a treasure. Yeah. You know, when she stood up at one meeting and she's like, listen, he's confessed, he's repented. Like I would not be marrying this guy if, you know, yeah. and like she, she, she stood by me in all the ways that were, she wasn't deceived. Sounds like so. Carrie. Sounds like Carrie. Yeah. So anyway, I remember going to meet with John. I came out from my first meeting and I'm in tears and she's like, Oh no, are you okay? And I was like, Theologically, I know I didn't just get saved, but I think I just got saved again. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? And I, I didn't have words for it, but it kept going back every single week. And what was happening was that he was the first person who ever showed me that Christians need the gospel just as much as non-Christians. Mm. He, he showed me what it meant for the gospel to be applied to weakness and brokenness in a way that was revolutionary for me. And it was utterly transformational. And God used him, I think, to save my life in the same way that Reed saved my life. Um, John, I think God used to, to do some serious adjusting in me. And in God's kindness, <laughs> in God's kindness, like we stayed for the next, I mean, and there was a lot that happened that year. I, I was, my dog died. Uh, I caught on fire, um, like legitimate, caught like 12% of my body was second and third degree burns. Right. Uh, there was like, there was a lot of stuff. It was a bad country music song. I mean, it was like the whole yeah. thing. And, but God just radically changed me. And then what happened was I had all kinds of like friends telling me you should leave because the process was, I think it probably wasn't handled as well as it could have been. Sure. But again, it was my fault. And I felt convinced of the Lord that I needed to stay. So we stayed and something happened in our church. Mm. People saw gospel life happening in me like I was starting to lead out of brokenness. I was honest about my sins and people began to confess their own sins. Mm. Isn't that funny how that happened? It's so wild. And self-righteousness left. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying everybody who left was self-righteous. I, I sinned against people, but like there was, there was some self-righteousness that left. And what was, what remained was gospel fields. And there was a harvest of sweetness for the next three years that we stayed. And the Lord was very kind and I'm, I'm grateful grateful that the Lord smote me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brother, thank you for being so willing to be transparent and share that story. I'm sure that it'll be used mightily by the Lord, by somebody who's listening or watching. Yeah, yeah, so that's what this book is born of. Yeah. Right. Uh, so as soon as I, so I knew your story. I'd heard you talk about this before. And what that did in me when I heard you were coming out with this book was I, I was thinking, ah, I probably don't need to read it. You know, I've heard a lot of that before. But because you're my friend, as soon as it came out, I bought five copies. Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, That's yep. a faith move right there. Yep. And I couldn't even get them used because they were, it was so new. So I was like, I, I'm such a good friend. I'll buy five new copies. Mm, you're amen. actually going to get royalties from this. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, well, thank well, you, but that's not the way to put your kids through college, by the way. No, so, it's yeah, not. we'll come back to that. Oof. So, um, anyways, uh, finally one day I was like, "Dude, I gotta read this." So I pick it up, chapter one, crushed, so good, uh, crushed in, um, in in the best way. Like 
this is so helpful, it's so richly biblical, it's so pastoral. And then you know how a pastor's brain works, right? You're reading something and you're like, I can think of like 10 people I need to read mm-hmm. this with, right? And so I read the whole thing, marked it up, and we had a uh, we were going to do like our first men's retreat. Um, and I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to read this together. And we did. Um, but, uh, and we got all the guys' copies. But uh, the reason why I don't have my copy with all my notes is because the book is so good, brother, that there was somebody who I felt like I quickly needed to give a copy of this book to. And I didn't have any more giveaways in my giveaway shelf. So I did, I broke the rule. I mm. never do this. I That's never great. give away my marked up books because you know how yeah, it is. I, I, right? I feel that. That's treasure. Like, uh, and so uh, when, when, um, Luke was like, hey, Garrett's going to be coming in. I was like, oh, let me go grab my marked up coffee from the shelf. Lo and behold, it was mm, gone. It was gone. All of that to say, uh, one, how good the book is, and two, why I am in some sense unprepared to interview you on That's this totally book because I don't have all my notes. That's fine. Uh, but can you, can you just walk us yeah. through the heart of this book? Well, first of all, you asked me why I wrote it. First of all, it's birthed out of, uh, I think, in one sense, the testimony of a sinner who God has been gracious to, and I want to I wanna give hope to the struggler. Second of all, I I wanted to I wrote it for our church um, first and foremost, and what I meant by that is like I didn't feel like I had one book. There's a lot of good resources oh, out there, yeah, tons. Right. Just just hear right. me out. I didn't feel like I had one book though that I could give to brothers or sisters, to those who are helping others or those who want to be helped, right? Those who are struggling with same sex attraction or normal attractions, whatever. Like I didn't feel like I had one resource that was also. Christ exalting that the main thing is like look at Jesus yeah. he's the power and love the church right. not just a couple of Christian friends but like the church as a whole yeah I didn't feel like I had all of that and I may have just missed a, a resource out there sure. but uh, so I wrote it saying like Lord use this in our church and if you want to use it beyond then so be it yeah um, but that was it was a gift to them and actually in the back there's uh, uh, eighty discussion questions we had. Uh, they were written by the members of the church. So before I sent it off wow. to Crossway, uh, they read it and they gave me feedback, made it better, yeah. and then also like help say, "Here's the questions you should talk about in this." So that's that's from our church as well. Wow. So um, thank you, Saints of Delray Baptist. Amen. Yeah, I love them. Um, the whole premise of the book is that um, that purity is not an end in itself; it's a means to an end. Mm. It's a it's a pathway. It's, it's a meditation on Matthew 5, 8. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So purity is not an end in itself. Oh, I didn't look at porn, didn't masturbate, didn't mess around with somebody I shouldn't, all that kind of, like, those are good things, but that's not the goal. Right. God is the goal. Mm-hmm. The pathway is purity that is not just external, but it's from the heart. Yeah. So the whole book is a meditation on, on that. What, is that. what does that mean theologically? But what does that mean practically yeah. in, in every, every arena? Who are, the, who are the enemies that are working against that? Um, what does it mean to have a right view of sex? Uh, that's one of the chapters I got a lot of feedback on is like, it, there's, a, a, I think, a, by God's grace, a, a beautiful picture of what sex is and what yeah. God intends for it to be, yeah. um, that Satan just wants to twist and pervert and make selfish when it's actually very different, um, that, that we need the church, we need very practical, tactical, like cut off your hand, pluck out your eyes sort of mentality, and we need to have a vision of heaven. Like, you know, First John chapter 3 speaks about like the hope 
Those who hope in being made like Jesus will become pure even as he is pure. Yeah. There's a power that comes from drawing upon the glory that is to come, and that being our hope that purifies yeah. us even now. Because when you're right. thinking about that, the last thing you want to do is go look at porn or whatever, right? So God, that, that's, that's what all that kind of stuff is, is, is in the book. Well, brother, you, you very helpfully just sort of broke down the book for us. So let's just walk through those kind of big chunks one mm-hmm. at a time. And if you yeah. want more, buy the book, read it, read sure. it, grab someone and read it with them. Yeah, you should. I'm, it's it's one I'm of those saying. books that's intended to be read with others. Yeah. Yeah. Best read in community, kind of like the Bible. Hey, okay. I like it. So let's talk about this idea of uh, holiness being uh, not the end goal, but a pathway to God Himself. Mm-hmm. This sounds uh, very Piper-esque, very uh, C.S. Lewis-esque, very Jonathan Edwards-esque, but I think you would say that's because all those guys just Read sound like Bible. Jesus. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any, anything else you want to say about that? Uh, well, so I'll give you an example of, of what <laughs> the wrong way to do it uh, that kind of created the, the hunger for something more. So... When I was struggling uh, before I was before I had gone off to be a pastor, I was struggling with pornography, and I got into a discipleship group. It was kind of more of an accountability group, and yeah. uh, you know we call it ourselves like you know the Holy Huddle or the Bible Guys or something like that. And we yeah. met together on Saturdays. Um, there was probably a dozen or so of us, and we would we would meet at this dude's house, and he had a big living room, and it was set up with chairs around in a circle, and in the middle of the room there was a table, and on the table, there was a jar, and we called it the pervert pot. And the pervert pot was filled with money. And basically what would happen at these meetings is we would come, we'd pray, and then each guy would stand up and they would go and put money in the jar if they had compromised that week mm. with pornography or masturbation or hooked up or whatever it was. And then they'd, they'd confess what they had done and then the walk of shame back to the seat and sit down. And then the next guy would get up and, and do the same. And then eventually some guy would get up and be like, well, brothers, thankful for everybody's uh, humility here today. I, I just want to say it's been, it's been two months now since I've masturbated or looked at porn or anything. Everybody would be like, man, he's the man. This is awesome. It's mm-hmm. so encouraging. Praise God. And we'd celebrate and he'd sit down. And, you know, we'd go around that. And, and listen, we were all, I think, really well-intended. Like yeah. we loved the Lord. We were eager for holiness, you know. But... I mean, you know it's getting cultivated in a setting like that, oh, yeah. right? I mean, you got you got two things. One is shame. Mm-hmm. If you're the guy who keeps coming in and conf- you continually are the failure, you're the loser for Jesus. You keep it's shame, it's shame, it's shame, it's shame, or it's self righteousness, mm-hmm. it's pride. I'm crushing it, and you know I'm better than these guys or whatever it may be, and you become kind of the 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 the, the holiness guru, right? Yeah, and those two things shame and self-righteousness, Jesus came to die for those. Right. He did not come to cultivate those. Right. So even though we were aiming at purity, the fact is we were just aiming at purity. Mm-hmm. The goal really was, I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I don't want to be disqualified from ministry. I don't want the consequences. I don't want, you know, 50 I billion... I want to beat these guys. I want to beat these guys in one sense. And we wouldn't have said it like that. No. But, and, and we wanted good for one another. But the fact is, it was... It was creating the problem in Galatia of competition, like in 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 a, in a way that, you know, we want one another to do well, but it it just, and we would pray to God and we would talk about God and we would we would quote verses and it was all there, but it 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 was just different than than what I think Jesus lays out. Blessed are the pure in heart, for we see God like people. 
I wasn't, I wasn't enamored with him and wanting to see right. him. He wasn't the goal for me. It was just that I didn't want to feel guilty. I didn't want to be, uh, I didn't want to get, didn't want to lose my job, didn't want to, whatever it, it was. So this is where, you know, I think for Christians, all of our obedience, whether it be in this arena or any other arena, the reason we resist temptation is that our hearts would be pure, that we might behold God, because yes. it's in beholding Jesus that we actually get strength to fight sin. Yeah. So you, you know this, like if, if, if you give in to sin, it's, your, your flesh gets riled up, and then it's just easier to keep feeding your flesh, right? I mean, and, and your, your, your flesh then gets stronger, and then you're more prone to fall in. Well, holiness works the same way on the opposite, the opposite tip, though, because you've got, when you're beholding Jesus, you're putting sin to death, and the Spirit is filling you in a way that you become stronger and more mature. Like right now, like in God's kindness, it's just His mercy. Like I'm just not tempted to look at pornography. It doesn't mean there aren't waves and there aren't thoughts, and yeah. sometimes they'll come in. The, but it's yeah. just not where I was, yeah. you know. And it's it's because God has mercifully changed me mm-hmm. um, to want Him more than anything by seeing yeah. Jesus. So right. I'll give you an illustration. I love nature. Nature is. Yeah. Uh, I think God fills it with wonderful examples of how He works with us. So, sunflowers. So you can look this up later on, on okay. YouTube. Sunflowers, baby sunflowers. The way that they grow into maturity is when they when they come up, their their unformed face rests naturally toward the east, and then when the sun comes up, they literally follow the sun all day long until the sun sets in the west, mm. and then, like there's a designer or something, right? Autocorrect. <laughs> back to the east, waiting for the sun to rise again and yeah. all day long. And that's how they grow into maturity over yeah. time. Yeah. And it's like God says, that's how you grow. Right. Like that should be in the Bible, right? Well, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3.18, like we move from one, one degree of glory, glory to, to another by how? With unveiled face, beholding glory. the Lord yeah. in all his splendor and his glory. And I think that's that's what Jesus is getting after here in this verse, is that Purity of heart allows us to see God, which strengthens our delight in God and desire for God, and it, it fills us with His Spirit in a way that enables us to resist sin and temptation. Yeah. Like, that's, that's really the heart of, of the book. Uh, listen, that's just a taste. The, the rest of that chapter is... Uh, well, it's more than one chapter, but that whole section in the book is, is fantastic. Uh, made me think of Hebrews 12, 14, where it says, For without holiness, no one will see the Lord, mm-hmm. right? He's just echoing Jesus. He's stating mm-hmm. it in the negative, yep. right? Yep. Jesus says in the positive, you know, yep. holiness leads us to the Lord, and he says without holiness, we won't see the Lord. Either right. way, the point is, holiness is so we can see God. Yep, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a means to an end, not an end in itself. Amen, yeah. brother. Now, uh, pause real quick. You, you said, by God's grace, you know, I, I don't want to watch porn today, right? And I think you've had, by and large, yeah. victory over porn for a long sure. time. You wouldn't be a pastor now if you didn't. Sure. Um, I think, I think some guys in particular, maybe girls too, but I think some Christians feel like in this hypersexualized, hyperpornified world, that is not possible. Yeah. It's not possible for me to not watch porn. They think maybe like you did as a young Christian, I love Jesus, I'm going to follow him, but I guess this is just going to be a part of my life. Yeah. Is it really possible in this world to not consume pornography? Yes. It is. It's possible. You have to. You have to be very intentional. Yeah. So I mean. So for instance, 
Are we doing this? If you put a gun to my head right now, right on your phone, and told me to pull up porn, right, I would Couldn't die. Do it. I literally would not. Yeah. If I want to download an app, I have to go to my wife and say, "Could you please put in the code?" Yeah. Because. And I'm sorry you married a 13-year-old, but I tell her, I'm like, sorry, I need to update my apps yeah. because I don't have the code to download stuff. Are you Covenant Eyes? Uh, I, I have Covenant Eyes yeah. on here, the whole thing. Like, um, And I, the way I think about it is I have, I have put up so much barbed wire in my life right. to where I could get to it, but it's really hard for me to get to it. It's difficult for me to sin. Yeah. And that's part, I think, of, of growing as a Christian. You, wanna, you want to make no provision for the flesh in regards right. to its lusts. And one of the ways you do that is by putting up all of the barriers, especially when you're sober-minded. Yeah. You're like, how am I going to... How could I find porn? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, like, even in our... Like, our kids, I have six kids. We have we have TV, we have an Xbox, we have a smart TV, we have Xbox, we have computers in the house. I have six layers of protection in our house to try to keep smut from coming in. And we still have to be on guard, right? Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it takes work. Holiness does not just happen, no. right? So you, it, it requires discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So, and you've got to know one of the, so even that example of like the kids thing, though, it's the world is designed to make sinning accessible mm-hmm. and easy, mm-hmm. and the pursuit of holiness very hard. It's it's almost impossible for us to find a family movie that's not Pixar uh, or something like that yeah. that we can sit down and watch without without you know we use Clearplay at our house and that's yeah. what I mean like whatever it is that you you do it's almost impossible right but it is possible if it just takes hard work yeah. and yeah so I, th- I think the Lord enables but y- you can't do it alone you need other people that's right like so for me community is essential yeah. And I think that's very biblical. Like these are written to the community, the church. We yeah. we want to encourage one another day by day, as long as it's called today, so we not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah. We need each other. Well, that leads us to the second part uh, of this book that we want to focus on, which is being intentionally. Yeah, and I feel like I do need to clarify something. Go so, ahead. Go ahead. When I say that it's possible. I don't want to I also don't want to say like I've I have not arrived. Sure. I'm I walk yeah. scared. Yeah. In that sense in a very real I I know here, my propensity. Yes. Uh, there, there have been seasons and I'm happy to share uh, at, at some point. There's seasons where uh in, you know years ago where I was very temptable. Yeah. And I think there were reasons for that um, that I was didn't even know what I was yeah. doing at the time but like I you can fall back into it. Like so I, there's yes, lest, and I be careful lest anyone think he stands, stands lest, lest he, he fall. fall. Yeah. Yes, so I I don't want to I don't want to come across as I've arrived. Mm-hmm. That is not the case. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is I'm free right now, and it's yeah. such a sweet place to be. Right. And you do anything to keep that <sighs> oh because gosh. when you're free and holy, you it's, are in a sense basking in the Lord. It's so sweet. Yeah, I, I just never would have thought. I just never would have yeah. thought that I could I could walk with the Lord and yeah. not be having to lie through a microphone. Oh. Like it's so, it's so sweet. It's yeah. so sweet. This is, you know, Jesus says, I give you these commands so your joy may be full. Like there's yeah. real joy yeah. in him. And I just, I, I do want to give brothers and sisters hope. I think there's, there is a way and Jesus will help you. Yeah. You don't have to watch You don't porn. have to. You don't have to you do You don't that. have to do what you used to do because you're not who you used to be. Romans 6 says mm-hmm. you are dead and now you're alive with Christ. That really means something. Yeah. It really, really means something. Yeah, and I I just think we've got to be able to know that. When I was a, a young c- Christian, one day it it dawned on me that I wasn't going to go to prison, 
I mean, maybe it could still happen for reasons that I don't understand yet, but uh, most of my teenage years, I just lived assuming I was going to go to prison. That's just what everyone did where I was from. That was mm-hmm. the life I was living. And then I got saved and I was like, oh, my life <laughs> doesn't, doesn't have, have to. to be that way. And then as a young Christian, I too struggle with addiction to pornography. And I remember once I had about two years behind me, yeah. I was like, dang. I really don't have to watch porn anymore, yeah. you know? Praise the Lord. Uh, I can have a healthy marriage, a happy family, mm-hmm. a holy life, imperfect in many ways. Sure. And sometimes getting so close to the line, playing that Pharisee mm-hmm. game, oh, right? yeah. what can I get away with sure. that isn't yeah. technically watching porn, Yep. right? Um, okay, so in, in, intentionally intrusive. That is a community where people aren't just going to go, hey, bud, you yeah. know, how you doing with sin, right? Yeah. They're going to go, hey, Garrett, I know you. And you've invited me into your life. You've told me that you struggle with porn and lust, particularly when you're stressed out in these particular ways. It seems like you're in a season where that could be a major temptation. Have you watched porn? Sure. Right? Yeah. Th- is that what you're getting at there with yeah. that intentionally intrusive? Yeah, I, I think the, the Christian life that is portrayed in the New Testament is one in which there is a war that is raging for your affections, for your obedience for your attention, for everything, Mm -hmm. and that you need brothers and sisters to lock arms with to to navigate this warfare as your own mission for Christ, which just, it turns the intensity up on what's happening. Mm -hmm. So Christianity is not a club where we're all just sitting around being like, we don't have anything else to do on a Sunday. Like, this is not what's happening. Like, we are at, at war. There's a war that is raging for our souls, for other souls, and I think engaging the Christian life that way in the context of community is, is, is essential. So this is one of the things that I, I just didn't have before. I had people around me, but I didn't have people who, who knew me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my confessions used to... I used to like spread out my confessions to 10 or 15 different people. If you added them all up, you added all up then, then, yeah. then, you might have a, yeah. then you might have a picture of what yeah. was really happening. Yeah. But if I told one person in February, hey, you know, I kind of struggled, and that's what a ten- that's what a confession sounded like. Right. So I had to learn what it even meant to confess. Right. Like all my confessions were really shallow. Yeah. You know, so first of all, you want to create, you want to ask God for and cultivate by his mercy relationships that are intentionally intrusive, meaning we are agreeing to help one another to heaven and to pursue holiness and to to fight against sin. Part of what that means is I'm going to share with you, here's all the ways that I'm typically temptable, mm-hmm. um, and here's times that I need you to check in on me, here's all those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, I want to. That's one of the things I, I would do with somebody who's in this kind of relationship with me. I want to train them to help me. Right. I don't want to just expect them to ask me. I'm going to be like, let me tell you all the ways that I... Because I'm, I've done this long yeah. enough now, I know... Like all of, the, I, I know, I know how Satan's going to come at right, me typically. Right. So I'm going to help you know that. I'm going right? to help you help me. Help you help me. Like this is very Jeremy McGuire. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so that I think you want to you want to cultivate that, and then in that you've got to walk in honesty, and you've got to fight because honesty is really hard to do because darkness hates the light, but light is sin's kryptonite. It is. It like puts the cleansing. flesh. It it really does. So so for instance, um, confessions. I, I, I mentioned it like. A typical confession of somebody who's maybe looked at, let, let's say the last night, this did not happen by God's grace. So let's say the last night I had looked at some, some pornography. Um, a confession could sound like this. Okay. 
Hey, Sean, I want to let you know, last night I was struggling a little bit with some lust, but, but praise God. Praise God. I'm all right now. Things are better now. But, you know, I, I was scrolling a little bit and, you know, saw, saw something, but then I, I you know, deleted the app. I'm good. But I just, I felt like I needed to let you know. Like that, it sounds like a very typical kind of confession that, that yeah. you might hear. Let Which me tell you, I, I, I gained basically nothing. Right. So I, I, yeah, let me tell you what no actually happened, though, yeah. in this imaginary scenario. A real confession would sound like this. Hey, Sean, I need to let you know that I, I sinned against the Lord last night. I, I was feeling sorry for myself, and I opened up a social media app, and I, I knew when I opened it that I was going to be looking for trouble. Mm-hmm. And I started clicking on some things that I knew I could click on, and I, I scrolled and I scrolled until I saw some nudity, and then I... I clicked on it, and then I looked some more, and then I, I felt bad, so I, I deleted it, and then I downloaded the app again, and I did it again, and then I deleted it, and then I did it again, and then I masturbated, and then I didn't want to tell you any of that, mm-hmm. but that's what happened. Yeah. Now, that's a confession. Yeah. You could, you could, the first one is not really helping anybody. It doesn't help the person to help you, and it doesn't help you to be honest before the Lord. The second one is what actually happened, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to do that second one. But it's and, and why not? Why don't people want to do it? Embarrassment, Fear yeah, man. It's humiliating, mm-hmm. which is what we need. We need humility. Mm-hmm. God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So, if you want grace from God, if you want help, you've got to learn to walk in the light. And this is the question I ask God: I'm like, do, who knows you? Like, I mean, really knows you? Mm-hmm. Like so, I'm I'm typically morally opposed to group thre- group text because they're, they wear me out. But I'm on one with three guys: Ben, Jason, and Chris. And those guys know how my soul is. Like they are up to date. So we'll we'll text memes and gifts and all that kind of stuff. But like, can I see some of those memes? Uh, I I have plenty. And I'm happy to share them with uh, we'll you. Post but them on this episode. That'll be that'll be really okay. helpful. <laughs> um, you can have one of you actually. Hey. Uh, but. Um, but those brothers know how I'm doing. Right. Like they have a pulse on my soul. And when we're feeling tempted, sometimes one of the most important things we've learned to do in these relationships is to confess our temptations. Mm-hmm. Not because temptations sin, but it helps to it helps to diffuse it. So for instance, hey brother, I'm about to go home and I'm feeling really selfish. So would you pray that I would be kind to the children, that I would go in and serve my wife, and that if there's a, you know, that I would go in not selfish because right now I'm pretty selfish. I need to die at the door because otherwise I'm going to go in kind of irritated. And then just that, it helps to dispel it. Or if I'm like, hey, guys, I'm feeling tempted right now. Would you pray for me? Like if I, those brothers are going to follow up with me. And that really helps to dispel and diffuse the, the, the temptation. That's a, that's a huge, huge part of it. But I, I need those people. Um, so let me give you an example with that. This was probably two years ago now, a year and a half or two years ago now. I had, I had a social media app on my phone, which I typically don't have, but I downloaded it to post it and had not intended to leave it on because I meant to do something evil, but had, had left it on, had not deleted it. Anyway, I pulled into the church parking lot, opened my phone, uh, I was going to check my email, saw the social media app, opened it up, started scrolling through, and someone posted something that was, it was seductive. It was, yeah. not, it was not good. So my flesh, so I, I scroll back down past it real quick. So my flesh says what? Oh, it's fine. You know, Wait, in the moment. In the moment, oh, yeah. the, the flesh says, "Is that really what you thought that was?" Right. Like, just 
you should probably check. You should you should take a look. Yeah. So so I grow up a little bit. I blocked the person. I deleted the app. I text my wife. I said, "Honey, I want to let you know I was just on social media. I saw something seductive. I didn't click at it or look at it, but I deleted the app. Blocked the person. Wanted to let you know." Then I copy and pasted that and I sent it to my the three guys, and I was free. Like yeah. I didn't. I hadn't sinned. I my flesh wanted to sin, and I yeah. thought about it. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It's been hundreds of days since then, and I have not regretted it once. Yeah. Like, but sin. If I had given in, I'd be like, oh, right. It's totally different. But anyway, if I hadn't done that. Like, what happens if I'd have left it on there and then after lunch, had you know, a big lunch, kind of heavy, kind of tired? I'm going to start thinking about that and kind of go looking for it again. But, like, because I had made no provision for the flesh with the help of friends, because they're all asking me. My wife's going to say, hey, how'd, how'd your day finish? My friends are going to check in later. Hey, how's, how's it going? That, I need that sort of help. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of relationships I need in order to make it home. Yeah. So I think part of the Christian life is, first and foremost, have the right goal. God's the goal. Purity is a means to see him. Then you've got to have the right help. You've got to have the friends around you who are going to lock arms and say, we're doing this together. Let's, let's pursue him yeah. uh, together with permission slips extended and acted upon. How are you doing? So, so let me press into one little thing yeah, on do that it. last portion before we move on. Um, Let's even just take like uh, um, sexual purity aside for a second. Yeah. Just talk about Christian purity in yep. general and yep. transparency. Yep, yep, yep. So let's say that there's imaginary church member, okay? And let's say he or she is, uh, in theory, on board with this idea. Sure. Right? Intentionally intrusive, my life. That's what church membership is, right? I, we have permission to be in each other's junk. Yep. But there are a few areas of this Christian's life where for whatever reason, they just do not want to open up, mm-hmm. right? They just do not want, you know, for whatever reason, this is a thing that, like, I just, like, a husband and wife, like, maybe the husband tells the wife or vice versa, like, listen, do not share this struggle with anyone. Let's say that that ends up getting back to you as a pastor. You know that this member is struggling with this, and you know this is the one thing that they don't want to let open, even though it's what they need to open up more than mm-hmm. anything. Uh, what do you say to them in that moment? If you, get, if you get the chance to, and yeah. you have the relationship. So I think the first thing I want to do as a pastor, so let's say that this is not a husband hiding a sin from a wife. That complicates right, it. Right, let's let's right. just say that there's a church member who's, and I can think of someone right now, who has an area of their life that feels like it's kind of walled off. Yeah. First thing I want to do as a pastor is pray. And I really mean that. Like, we all right, know that's yeah. the right answer. But, right. but it really is, because heart change only happens when the Lord does it. Mm-hmm. So you need to pray that God would work in this person's heart to humble themselves and to, to open to open up. Prayers first because it is the most important. It is. Yeah. Secondly, I I want to take the long view. I want to persevere with this person. Mm-hmm. That even if they're not opening up in the things that I think they might need to yet, I want to persevere with them because something happens as they grow in Christ and they mature the strengthening of spiritual maturity, it'll help to loosen that up eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the take the long view with with people. Yeah. Now, if it's something that's like super on fire, you're gonna have to have those conversations. And and so for, with this particular person that I have in mind, I've had I've had a conversation be like, hey, listen, I think this is an area of your life you really you need to let us in on and help you because if you don't, it's going to cripple a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I want to have a really defining, clear, 
let's let's talk about this. Yeah. I want you to know that I I love you though, and I'm gonna continue to walk with you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you to be humble about that. Yeah. I think right now you're not being humble about it. Yeah. And if you think there's another reason besides pride, just tell me what it is so I can understand it and I want right. to understand you better. Yeah. It feels like when when I wall things off in my life, it's because of pride. So help me understand what that looks like for you. So you want to pray. I think you want to persevere. And I think you want to, I'm trying to think of a P because I'm a Baptist. And anyway, you want to have a particular conversation with them, a piercing hey. conversation. There hey. you go. But I think you do need to have that appointed conversation with them, right? Yeah. Where you're like, this, this needs to, we need to deal with this. Yeah. And... Whenever you're ready, let's let's do it. But the longer you wait, yeah. it's like leaving a cancer in you. Yeah, it's better to get it out now. Yeah, you know there was there was a sister I was thinking of who who knew that they had cancer, but they just were so scared to deal with it. They were just gonna like not deal with it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, no, no, this is life or death. Yeah, same sort of thing with abiding sin. Uh, we're in a hyper suspicious age in yeah. relation to authority right now. Sure. A lot of accusations being thrown around about heavy shepherding, and uh, I mean, you probably experienced this. You try to just be a pastor to someone, and they accuse the church of being a cult, and you know all yeah. that sort of thing. What, what, how do you strike that balance of like, hey, uh, you need to let me in, or let us in, right? Let someone in the church in, so that we can do this together w- without um, crossing that line. I think part of the answer is the second thing you said, right? Forbearance, right? Um, but still, I, I think. A lot of churches are doing a particularly good job of forbearing, and they're still having some of these accusations leveled at them for just trying to do basic Christian things. Yeah. I think if you're in pastoral ministry, you just have to expect that's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you got to be able to have thick skin, yeah. I think, if you're going to be a pastor. Minister before the Lord. It's just, he knows. Lord, help me to love them. Yeah. And you just, I think you just have to be willing to say, okay, you know, do, do what you're gonna do then. You know, I mean, and if you th- if you can't trust us as your pastors, then I I encourage you to go find I'm a place sure where you can, can be. Yeah. Because one of the things you don't want to do as a pastor this is another conversation also is to spend ninety percent of your time on one person when there's everybody else is hungry and wants to be fed. That's one of Satan's yeah. schemes, right? So I right. think you want to you want to keep that in mind as well. That's good, brother. Uh, radical cutting off, right? Fighting for holiness. Uh, like you're in a fight for your life mm-hmm. because you are in a fight for your life, for yep. your eternal life. Yep. Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I think you've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to kill sin. You, Wait, is that a, is that idea unique to you? Uh, I think it's in the Bible. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Jesus is going to do this, Matthew chapter 5, right? I mean, J- Jesus, Jesus tells us, um, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Mm -hmm. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It's pretty graphic. Jesus is real. And people will be like, oh, well, Jesus is using metaphors. I'm like, he's literally using a metaphor to tell you how serious this issue is. So yes. And usually the metaphor never captures the fullness of the reality to which it's pointing. Of course. Hell is going to be infinitely worse than a fire that never stops burning and a worm that never starts stops eating. Like it's it's what you experienced on that stage that night was worse than cutting off uh, one of your limbs. Yeah, I would have I would have rather, in one sense, had that cut cut off in the moment. So Yeah. yeah. Um so this is the question that I'll ask people. And they come into my office and they're like, I've been looking at porn and, and I, I need some help. I'm like, 
praise the Lord. First of all, I want to thank that person. I want to say, hey, listen, oh, yeah. I want to encourage you that the fact that you're even taking this step, it's something to be celebrated. This is yeah. God's grace in your life. Praise the Lord. My next question is, do you mean it? And what I mean by that is... And that's are, part of your standard question? Basically, basically it depends yeah. on the person, but yeah. like, you know, are you willing to do whatever it takes to put this thing to death? And and I don't want you to answer yet. Um, so, well, typically my thing will be like, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for telling me your sin. I'm going to go get a glass of water. Um, I want you to tell me, is there anything else that you haven't told me or that you're lying to me about? Is there any... Because now is the time to do the whole thing. Yeah. Don't cut right. out part of it. Right. Like, let's do the whole don't thing right Don't leave part of the don't tumor leave, in your please. body. Yeah. No. So I'm going to go get a glass of water. I'll be back in about two minutes. And the reason I want to do that is because it's really hard to tell the truth. Yeah. And Satan wants you to not... He wants you to be scared and I have a moment to think about this. I want to give you a moment to think about it. And I'm going to be praying for you while I go out. If there's anything else that you can think of that you need to confess, let's do that. Okay. Go out, come back. Then I'll say, okay, now, are you, are you ready to put this thing to death? Like, do you want to, and I'll read these verses to him, are you ready to obey Jesus? And be like, yeah. And be like, okay. So I'd like you, if you're ready, give me your phone. Uh, I'll ask them how they're accessing it. 90% of the time it's on their phone. Right, yeah. um, I'm willing right now to dumb down your phone to where you will never be able to look at pornography again on your phone. Um, but it's going to cost you some things. It's going to cost you some of your beloved apps. You're going to have to, you know, I'd start telling them what all it's going to cost right. them to do it. And it's funny. You see guys being like, well, don't, isn't there another thing that we could do? And like, you know, I mean, guys just start squirming where I'm like, listen, Jesus just told you that you should cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. He at least means you'd be uh, willing to del- delete, delete Netflix Instagram. or Twitter yeah. or whatever it is that's, that's tempting you, right? So we've got to cut this thing off. And that's where you've got to see, are, are they really ready? Right. And sometimes it takes a couple of meetings. They're like, I don't think that's where I am yet. I just wanted to talk to you yeah. about it. I'm like, okay. Well, my hope is that we'll never have to have this conversation again. Yeah. But if we do, then we'll, we'll revisit it, right? Uh, and then we're just going to take a moment, give them yeah. a little bit of time, um, and, and, and see what happens. So um, quick, I want... Quick story on that real quick. I, um, I had this guy that I was discipling, same deal calls me. Do you have people who just fetch you stuff? All the time. That's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, carry <laughs> he confesses. Uh, I knew it had been a struggle for him, and I knew he wasn't ripping out his eye, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this was back before smartphones sure. were what they are today. And I said, okay, I want you to come visit me, and I want you to bring your computer with you. And I could just hear the fear in his voice. He was like, why? And I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just bring your computer yep. with me. And he goes, what are you going to do? Are you going to Are you gonna break it? And I was and I, so he comes and we have the conversation. And I say, brother, can't you see? You love this too much. You're yep. not ready to put it to death. Yep. You're going to go to hell. Yep. You may not be a Christian. Exactly. And this $300 laptop that you use to access your pornography, you love your porn so much that even if I were going to destroy it, you wouldn't have brought it if yep. you would have thought that. That's right. Um, and I didn't destroy it. Sure. Uh, and But that... That yeah. helps. It, it, yeah. it, you, people Because that's one of the things about... Sp- People are not spiritually sober. They're not right. sober-minded. It, it, Sin makes you drunk. It makes you yeah. drunk. And we tell them that. We're like, first thing you got to do is stop drinking. Right. Like, so we've got to cut this off. Yeah. Or it's, it's, going, to, it's going to kill you. Yeah. And I think helping to draw that line for guys is really important. You also just see whether somebody's really ready to, to do it or not. So, right. Because you can't spend all your time trying to work with someone who's not ready. No. Just like an addict of anything else. Yep. Until, yeah. until you're ready. Yeah. 
Now, I think one of the other things that's important in this conversation is, is what else is going on that's feeding the your flesh, right? right. So this, I don't know where this fits in, but maybe, maybe we'll try it here. Like, um, so a number of years ago, I was what time? Yeah, it's it was around it was around November time. Uh, I was feeling so overwhelmed with temptation. It was weird. It was like everywhere I went, I was like, oh my goodness. Like I'm thinking about looking at somebody or mm-hmm. looking at something or like what? And I could not understand. Like I hadn't been dabbling with I could not I couldn't understand. And I I told one of my one of my buddies, I was like, man, would you pray for me? I'm feeling yeah. so attacked. And they're like, yeah, I'm happy to pray for you. Look, let me just ask you a couple of questions. And they started going through and asking me all these questions yeah. uh, about just what I was doing in my day and all this kind of stuff. And what we found out was that I had been feeding my flesh all day long while I'm studying the Bible. Rather than fighting through and studying, I'd stop and check my email, check the news, check some sports scores. Uh, I kept running to either ego inflating or ego deflating uh, social media notifications. Um, you know, I was, it was this time of the year, it was, it was football. I'm into football. So I had several fantasy football teams. I'm checking scores. I'm doing trades. I'm, uh, it's the time of the year where, and listen, you can say whatever you want. I'm one of those foo-foo coffee drink guys. So like, Oh, I will pumpkin, say whatever I want. I know, pumpkin yeah. spice latte. <laughs> I don't even care. You can hate all you want. I'm going to drink that thing. Okay. So right. it, but, but what had happened was it went from being something like every other week on date night with my wife that we would share one to where I was having one every single day. It uh-huh. was just becoming, I was just drinking that. Yeah. Our, um, I was going out to meals. I was eating like two and three helpings because right. I was just I was just feeding. And You were just and, indulging your flesh yeah, in and every way. At night, at night, I would go home, and because I was tired, I would watch shows rather than pray or read. And yeah. what I realized was exactly what you said. I was feeding my flesh. Yeah. And the Lord in his kindness gave me an illustration. Uh, we have these kids. We have all of them, six of them. They've all, almost almost all of them have done this. We give them pacifiers uh, until they're two. Then they have to put it in the bed uh, until it's, uh, and they can only have it during night-night time. So anyway, one of our kids, he's about two and a half, he gets mad about something and stomps upstairs. And I'm like, so I'm awake, I have that. So I, I go up and I follow him. And I look around the, around the door and <laughs> homeboy Homeboy goes over next to the bed. He he kneels down. He puts his elbow on the bed so he's legal. He reaches over, grabs a passy, mm. takes three hits off of it, goes, <sighs> puts it down, and stood up and was totally fine yeah. and just went back to being normal. And it was like the Lord was like, well, doesn't that look familiar? Yeah. And that's what I had been doing. I had been feeding my flesh in every way that wasn't the primary struggle and, and they were all with things that weren't uh, inherently sinful, right, yeah. but the way I was relating to them was becoming sinful. Right. And it was feeding my flesh in a way that made my natural weakness of sexual temptation to be yeah, more easily pursued by, by the, by the yeah. evil one. And so I think this is, you know, we need to do a whole, a whole view of your life when yeah. we're talking about this. Discipleship touches every single area. So yes... We need, may need to get rid of smartphone. Like, and I tell people, I was like, do you know that for thousands of years, people lived without a computer in their pocket? <laughs> right. Like, it's very possible, yeah. you know. But we need to do bigger than that. We want Jesus wants your whole life. Yeah. And I think that sort of approach to discipleship helps. It's not just, are you looking at porn? Are you looking at porn? Are you looking at porn? That's the conversation most guys are having. Right. Uh, and then all you're thinking about is porn, because all you're asking me about is porn, and porn is porn, and porn, yeah. porn, like... 
there's more why are that. you looking at porn? Yeah. yeah. What are you looking for? Yeah, that's right. And Jesus is always the answer. That's good, brother. Uh, I, this is not a fully developed thought, so uh, you correct me here in mm-hmm. some sense if it's if it's off kilter. But I think there is something to a Christian stoicism where you are, con- well, I, Paul says, I buffet my body, right? You're constantly being on the lookout for places where your flesh is increasingly inflamed. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one of those things for me is with my eating. Um, every now and then I'll just kind of, for like 30 days, tighten up my eating mm-hmm. because I'll see like, oh, I'm indulging in food. I'm not enjoying it properly. Yep. I'm not savoring it. Yep. In some sense, I'm, I'm probably in, becoming addicted to it. I'm, I'm not uh, using it. I'm not appreciating it when I share it with people. Yep. It's consuming my thoughts. So I'll take uh, a month just to make food not a factor in my life mm-hmm. so that I can come back and yep. appreciate it. And sometimes we have to do that not like going on a fast for Lent kind of a thing, but just putting to death certain areas of our flesh that are inflamed. I think that is, especially in our um, American approach to um, to Christianity, fasting is not a normal thing. Right. That I, I think it's an expected thing. Jesus says, when you fast. Okay. I think part of a normal Christian life should include fasting. Mm-hmm. And I do think that should be like what the Bible means with fasting, with with food, and there should be times we do that if medically able and all those sorts of things. But but I do that with social media. Like I'll get off for for a month or so. Like so yeah. I'm, I'm off of social media right now with taking a taking a break. Um, for I typically do that for a month or so. Yeah. Um, so I'm off about half the year. Yeah. Uh, which is just helpful for me. Um, and when you do that, it's surprising how little you miss, miss it, it. Right. I think about yeah. It. Like, right. And now I'm like, should I even get back on? I'm like, you know. And so like, hey, oh, like join us. Dude. I know. Join I'm, us. I've been I'm on the edge. Believe me. So <laughs> uh, so I feel that right. Yeah. So I, I do that regularly. I would say if you have if you're on social media and you haven't taken a break. In like six months, I want to say I don't think it's safe, yeah. like for your soul. Right, like it it creates an alternate reality that feeds yeah. the flesh in every way. It's intentional. Social media is not a morally neutral technology, no, not at all. All right? these secular guys yeah. are coming out saying the same thing, uh, of yeah. course. So I think the, you do the same thing with with sweets, with like so. For I don't know whether you drink alcohol or not. I don't think you do, but like so. I'm I'm whatever hap- you do. Don't say I need to fast from diet mountain. Well, Dew. there's one, <laughs> but like I'm I'm a happy Baptist, so I'm happy to enjoy a glass of wine from now and again. But like I have to be very intentional. Yeah. So for me, if I come home and I'm like, man, I could use a glass of wine, I must not drink a glass of wine. Right. Yeah. Because what it means to me then is something that only Jesus is supposed Amen, to supply. Brother. Yeah. But for me, if it's like a celebration with some friends or something like that, it's a different thing. Yeah. So whatever it is that you're engaging in, yeah. if you're like, oh, I just need to watch a show, like, mm, maybe you need, that's when you really need to pray, yeah. whatever it is. So I, I, I'm 100% with you. Yeah. I think we need more of that. Of yeah. saying denying yourself that you might say yes because fasting is saying no to your yeah. to stuff you that's natural and typically good so that you can say yes to the Lord and seek His face. Yeah, that's so good, brother. Um, and by the way, people who are watching this, they they might be inclined to think that me like, oh, that's so good. This is the way we talk to each other. You know, I mean, just genuine encouragement and love. Uh, I really do mean every time I listen to you talk about these things, brother, I do feel genuinely strengthened. Well, and we critique each other. Like that's we, right. I mean, and that's 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 Christian love as well, right? That's right? So encouragement. We should not be afraid to encourage each other. It's the wind in the sails that helps us to 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 move toward heaven. But if we don't have critique, and we've critiqued each other on stuff, mm-hmm. and that's really important. And yeah. and I think 
this is why you want to surround yourself with people who love you and are not impressed with you. Amen. Like, like we're, this is not a, a contest to see who's better. Like no. Jesus, we, everybody agrees Jesus, Jesus is better. Is, he's so, like, so much better. It doesn't, we don't, it doesn't yeah. even matter. And that's, those are safe relationships, though, yeah. right? And that's and praise God because we need them. Um, this is kind of a pause before we get to the fourth point, a little sidebar. You yeah. constantly, I've noticed, when you're, when you're talking to your accountability partners, these guys who love you and know you, and, and, and ladies like your wife, uh, you're like, you, you always say, I need you to pray for me about this. Uh, again, uh, assuming uh, a bad actor, they, they could be listening to that and go, that's just like you, Chris, right? You're always saying, oh, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. But uh, it actually made me think about the text that I'm preaching this mm-hmm. week. So Paul is talking about his imprisonment and how these people are attacking him and and in Philippians 1.19, he says, For I know that, and he says, I will rejoice, for mm-hmm. I know that through your prayers mm-hmm. and the help of the Holy Spirit, this will turn out mm-hmm. for my deliverance, mm-hmm. right? And this is Paul who, all through chapter 1, he has given us this massive, big God theology, right? God is sovereign over everything, and yet he says, my deliverance is tethered Yep to your prayers. Exactly. And he doesn't say it devoid of the Holy Spirit. It's precisely the Holy Spirit working in light of the prayers of the saints, yep. you know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing that when you say those things, you're thinking like this, with this sure. kind of intentionality. No, I, I, I believe that God really wants us to pray and that He actually answers the prayers of His people. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, we, we talked about spiritual warfare earlier. Like, this is... There is real war. Yeah. Um, I just teaching through Daniel in a, in a Bible study. And I mean, you've got this angel who shows up who's like, ever since you started praying, I was sent, but uh, I was hindered for three weeks while you were still praying because there was this demon who was keeping me from coming. And like, I don't know what all that means, sure, but right. what I do know is that Daniel persevered in prayer for three weeks, pleading with God, and the whole time the Lord was answering, but there was some kind of warfare that was yeah. going on. So I, I don't, I don't. Sounds know. like Dave and, Car- and Young Garrett. I just, don't, I mean, yeah, it's real. It's like, real, man. and and I think that we've got to understand that our our strength is God, like He is our strength. Uh-huh. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Right, yeah. Like that's where we the the war is. So. So you've got to pray. Yeah. It's not just tactics. It's not just books. It's not just... It's God is our strength, That's and right. we've got to abide in Him. So I'm, I mean that. Oh, yeah. And you mean that. We, we've got yeah. to be a prayerful people. So yeah. again, this is why praying, fasting, reading the Word, community, like this is where power is. Yeah. Our, we don't have weapons that the world has. We don't come right. in with bazookas and grenades and whatever. Like it's weakness. It's, it's stopping and saying, God, I can't do this. I need you to help me. That's exactly right, brother. We say this, I don't know how often, but before our pastoral prayer, we'll very often say, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we're asking Him to do for us that which we cannot, cannot do, do for, for ourselves, ourselves, right? Amen. So you, you see that thing on that app, you delete it by God's grace, right? Pray, but then you say, pray for me, because you know that you doing that, you didn't do that. God did that. No. You know. he, he gets all the glory. The only reason, if I'm left to myself, hell. I mean, I am going straight to hell, right? Happily, because I love my, I love my mm-hmm. sins. That's even like where we started. Like, I'm a Christian, which is a thinking miracle. Mm-hmm. I love my sins so much. I had the gospel shared with me some 17 times before I became a Christian. Wow! Because I didn't want Jesus, because I love my sin. Yeah. 
but for some reason he wanted me. Yeah. And he sought me and saved me and is continuing to save me and has promised that he will save me on the last day. Yeah. And I just think it's so sweet. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Uh, no, uh, get on, out of my head, it, dude. Let's get it. It's all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have to fight to not sing that hymn too often in our church because mm-hmm. it just applies everywhere all the everywhere. time. Uh, so let's 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 finish on that kind of note, mm-hmm. right? If it was if it was up to me, I would choose hell, and I did choose hell, but God saved me for heaven. But now there's a sense in which um, we have to cultivate our taste for yeah. heaven, right? We have, to, we have to encourage those longings that God by His Spirit plants in us. We have to fan into flames those, those visions of heaven so that we can walk in holiness. Talk to us a little bit more about that. I just talked through the book of Revelation uh, a couple of weeks ago in like a boot camp kind of setting. So the yeah. whole thing in seven hours, verse by verse. And it was the most liberating, enthralling, Life, I don't know if anybody else liked it, but I <laughs> loved it because... How many charts did you have? I had zero charts. No I, charts? I, I could have had some charts. Okay. But, um, because the book is written to churches who are under attack with all kinds of sin, including sexual sin and false mm-hmm. teaching, all this kind of stuff, and the book is intended to help the church to persevere through all of the demons and darkness and flesh and sin and world and all the kind of... To persevere to the land where sin shall be no more. Mm-hmm. Like, it's intended to help the church's home. Jesus is coming. This be big on your mind. And I, I think if I was Satan, I would do anything I could to keep us from thinking about eternity. Mm-hmm. I mean, when was the last time you're watching TV and a commercial comes on and says... Friendly reminder that soon you are going to stand before a holy God and give an account for everything you've ever thought, done, and said, so you should be preparing even now. Yeah. Have a nice day. Like, that never happens. It's only tethering us to everything that's fleeting. That's right. Eat this burger or you won't have sex with anybody. Have this car or you're a loser. Like, and it's just stuff, discontentment, everything down here, I need more of here. Like, the whole thing is set up like that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand that, like, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. This is where the... The scriptures are, as Augustine said, are letters from home, mm. like telling us that there's another land, that this world is not your home. Yes, what matters, what you do now matters here, but it's the hope of there that drives you. So drink from that cistern, drink from that water, look to Christ, cultivate him. And this is, you know, we mentioned this, this verse earlier, but I, I love this. First uh, John uh, 2.28, and now little children abide in him so that when, not if, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Mm. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. For the believer, our hearts have to be set on that. Mm -hmm. I want to see him. I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to be like him. I don't, I want to be free from this body of death. I want, and I want as many people to come with me as possible. This is one of the reasons that I personally, I don't read tons of books. You you run, read tons of books and I really respect that. I, I, 
I, though, read one book all the time besides the Bible, and it's Pilgrim's Progress. Mm. I love that book. And I think it's because I love watching Christian fight through so many trials and temptations and betrayals and fallen friends and all of the stuff because he's going to the celestial city. And he will put his fingers in his ears and cry out, life, life, eternal life, when people are calling to come back. And there's, it just does something for my soul. And whatever it is for different people, you got to figure that out. But like, when your heart is tethered there, it just makes everything down here seem so, mm-hmm. so silly to trade it for. Yeah. Like, and this is why, like right now, like you offered me all the porn. I just don't, I, why? If yeah. I, I don't want to go mess around. I mean, like, I, I want to help people to heaven. I, I want to go. I want to be with him. I want to be in that land where I'll see his face and I'm, I'll thank him forever the scriptures say, because we'll have so much to thank him for because he's given us Christ, and I'm just ready to go. Amen, brother. Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, yeah. who for the joy that was set before for him. him. So if he looked yeah, forward to the joy, looked. then we yep. look forward to the joy. Yep. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah, That seems like a good place for us to end our discussion on this Amen. book. I, I hope that every single person watching or listening to this gets Garrett Kell's Pure in Heart. The brother, There's two other books, that we one that's forthcoming, another that we just couldn't get to. We don't have time. Maybe that'll be part two when we bring you back down. Um, I want to end by telling my second favorite Garrett Kell story because I think it's typical of your character. I think it's a, it's a good illustration of who you are. So um, uh, I'm a pastor of Sixth Avenue Community Church, been here for six years now. But before this, I was on, on path to become one of the assistant pastors at mm-hmm. Delray and was going to finish up the internship with Mark and go down there with you guys. And I had come and done my, uh, you know, uh, getting to know the church, and I preached for you guys. And and then one day, uh, I read a book on church revitalization, and it breaks my heart for this church in Alabama, this church where somebody had already asked me if I would be their pastor. And mm-hmm. I said, what are you kidding? No way. That's crazy. I'm not going to be this. Uh, this church is bad. <laughs> it's dying. <laughs> I can't do this again. And... Uh, and listen, to go on staff at Del Rey and then, and then potentially go out from there and church plant and revitalize, that was the easy, glorious path to be with a friend, to do all that. Um, but my heart broke for this church. I couldn't mm-hmm. sleep, you know, thinking about it. The Lord started to do miracles to open the door here. And I was really afraid to tell you, you know, I was really afraid to tell you because uh, we had already gone so far down the line, you sure. know, and... Uh, but finally, one day in the stairwell at CHBC, I called you on FaceTime and, you know, all Eeyore-esque, you know, brother, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to come on staff at Del Rey. I think I'm going to this Church of God in Alabama, not Church of God anymore. And uh, with a big old genuine smile on your face, you just said, brother, I just want you to do what Jesus wants you to do. And I think that one-liner is... That is what fills the frame of my mind when I think of Garrett Kell. Mm. Um, a lot of guys in that situation could have been become angry, bitter, 
but it's never affected our friendship. Um, yeah. Now, me and Carrie have had a couple of <laughs> glancing blows. Well, after y'all, y'all, y'all are, y'all we work still well love together. each other too, right? I know, it's good. It's but, good. Uh, but, well. dude, in all seriousness, man, I love you. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for being uh, not only my friend, but also a fellow brother in arms and yeah. a guest on our show. Yeah. And thank you for your example of not giving into the fear of man and just doing what's mm-hmm. expected. And I, and I think that's why friendships like this are important because yeah. we both know that Jesus and following him is, is all we got. That's so right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Let me pray. Yeah. Uh, Father God, we asked for your help at the beginning of this episode. Um, Garrett pleaded for mercy. And man, do we feel it. We, uh, we know that any good thing that we've said here, it's, it's not from us. We didn't think of it. Uh, we're thinking the thoughts of you after you. Um, and God, we just pray that you'll bless that. We pray that your word, which is reverberating around in our hearts, that we've, that we've spilled out here in this episode, that it will reverberate out into the lives of those who are listening, that you will change your people to make them more like Jesus Christ, that you'll build up the church, and that your name will be glorified among the nations. Lord, help, uh, help our listeners to love discipleship to be obedient to the commands that you've given us to make disciples and to be discipled. And Lord, help us to be the kind of disciples that are not hypocrites. Mm -hmm. Help us to walk in in truth as we worship you, as we follow you. May our testimony be a testimony, not that of the Pharisees, uh, but even of Peter, who, although he embarrassed himself, uh, was kept by you because he was called by you. Uh, We pray that you'll bless Garrett as he goes um, back out to do the ministry that you have called him to. Lord, we know that Satan would want to do him harm. We know that the world is working against him, and we know that the body of flesh that he still lives in is causing him uh, temptations day in and day out. But God, we pray that you'll protect him and keep him uh, uh, by the word of God, being used by the spirit of God and the community of God's people. And, and we, we can ask this with great confidence because you have promised us in your word that that's exactly what you'll do for those who belong to you. So with hearts full of great hope and expectation, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Thanks, brother.